All Talks of Life with Chris Viniquest. All right, you heard the man. It's All Talks of Life with Chris Viniquest. I'm glad to be uh, a company today. And the person I'm going to introduce is one of my close brothers, friend of mine. You could say family. Known him for about 12 years now since I got the Christian Tabernacle Church. Uh, he's a bassist extraordinaire, father of the year, um, awesome DOE uh, worker, you know, great, great, great guy all around. Uh, po- uh, po- politician, uh, political expert, sorry, political expert, things like that. I could just keep going on about who this guy is. Uh, AIC band member. I am going to continue going on. Great husband, awesome friend, uh, Carlos Gabriel Polidura. Yeah, but to all to people who know, Gabby, what's up, brother? God bless you, How man. You doing, man. God bless. <laughs> Good to be here, bro. Happy that um I was able to be part of this podcast that I listen to myself. So it's not just I'm here, you know. Thank you, thank you. To, you know, <laughs> you know what's, what's funny is that you were. You you were one of the people that were most on me, like, hey, man, you got to do this better, do that better. So you definitely, I know when you say that I hear the podcast, you're not just like, you know, talking pleasantries. You're like, I actually listen and I text you and be like, yo, dude, you know, let me give you a pointer here or there because I know you love listening to podcasts. Yeah. But before we talk about what we're going to talk about today, our topic is going to be music and we're going to talk some things because he's a bassist. He's a musician. Uh, he has a great ear for music. But before we talk about that, right, podcasting, um, who are some of your favorite podcasters? Because I, I know that, that you're heavy into the podcast world, right? So, um, so yeah, so first of all, um, obviously, I listen to your podcast. Yeah. Um, and before your podcast, I've always listened to people like Dr. Michael Brown, who's a big time, you know, yeah. conservative Christian podcaster. Um, but then I also listen to podcasts I like uh, Stephanie Hamill from One American News. Mm. Um, I also listen to Ben Shapiro, conservative, you know. Um, I listen to uh, Liz Wheeler, mm-hmm. Candace Owens, oh, yeah. Brandon Tatum. You know, these are all conservative voices that are, like, really popular right now, mm-hmm. in, you know, in our culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, usually when I hit you up, giving you a pointer here and there, is because since I'm listening to all these people. I know. I'm listening to how they speak. I'm listening <laughs> to how they format their podcasts and stuff. So, I like, come I always hit you up. be like, yo, try this this way or sure. rephrase this, rephrase that. You know, I'm, I think that that's a good way where we can, you know, help each other, sharpen each other's skills. No, definitely. In, in that aspect. So, yeah, those are people that I listen to. Um, I hope that I'm better for it. But I know you mentioned all the conservative uh, folk that you listen to. That's why I said, like, you know, you're a great political commentator because uh, you listen to a lot of people I listen to and some that I don't. But what are, like the Christians other than Michael Brown, is there anybody else that that you really get into? Um, I would listen to also Dr. James White. Okay. Who has his friend, uh, right? Yeah, they're, they're best friends actually. Well, not best friends, but they're very close friends. Yeah. Um, his radio is called. Oh my gosh, I forgot the title right now. But I listen to Dr. James White. Okay. Um, and uh, there are other other uh preachers and teachers that I listen to. Right. Um, who also have uh, podcasts, for example, Pastor Charles Stanley. Um, David Diga Hernandez is another one who I okay. listen to who has a, a podcast. He also has a, a YouTube channel, uh, Spirit Church YouTube channel. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so I listen to uh, quite a few, you know, uh, what I like to call sound sources when it comes to, uh, you know, to the word. podcasting, to the word. Yeah. Uh, it's just well-balanced you know, sure. preaching. So Yeah, I yeah, know, because one thing that uh, as Christians we've been getting into is 
an unbalanced life, mm-hmm. right? We listen to way too much political talk and not enough Bible talk. Right. And then back in, back in the days of our parents or maybe our grandparents, it was all Bible talk and no kind of world foundation, no kind of worldview. Right. So when you ask them about what you think about this, about, oh, politics is of the devil, TV is of the devil, radio is of the devil. And then the devil got into the schools and got into the television and got into all these places because... People were just like, oh, yeah, we're just going to stick here on this side. Right. So the balance is a great thing. And now 20, 30 years later, we see the opposite side. Now we see yeah. people doing the crossover, yeah. you know, getting into the podcasting, getting trying to get into the TV, whether it's, uh, you know, free access, you know, channels or whatever. <laughs> we're trying to make that entry into that era because, you know, if, if we're not occupying it, the enemy occupies it, yeah, right? Definitely, definitely. So it's like they say, uh, like our pastor always says, you know, if you, if you don't have your mind... Uh, occupied with the things of God and mm-hmm. with the things that you should be doing, then you're just open free reign for the enemy to come in and just take over and, and wreak, wreak havoc, you know, in your life and in your family and stuff. So, and for by sure. the way, the name of the James White podcast is Dividing Line. It just came Dividing to me. Line. The Dividing Line with <laughs> Dr. James White. I have to stall a little bit so you can get that. Yeah. <laughs> appreciate it. Appreciate it. But the reason why I wanted you to come through and talk to us was because you're a musician and I know from talking to you. Um, you know, you're my barber sometimes. Ever since COVID, you haven't cut my hair. After well, the pod, we're about, we're about to get the hair cut later. Okay, after, yeah. So. After the pod, he's gonna do some, you know, facial restructuring on me <laughs> and stuff like that. But um, when we would talk back in pre-COVID days, 2019, 2018, 2017, uh, back I think even to 2016, um, you know, I always noticed that. You had this thing about musicians where it was like, man, you got to live set apart. You have to live different. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a prophet. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not all these things, but I am a musician. Like, I am a leader in the church because I do have the kids ministry. Uh, how long you have the kids ministry already? The- um, pastor assigned us to the kid ministry in 2010. 2010. Uh, 11 this, years. This right. was Yeah, this was after she had already been uh, made official. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And then I believe it was around October, September, October of 2010, when she came up to us and said, listen, I would like you guys to become the children's ministry director. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, uh, me being a musician, mm-hmm. you know, since childhood, mm-hmm. I didn't see myself holding up any other type of position in the church. I was happy. Like Pastor Edward always says, I was happy. Just you leave me alone in my corner being a musician. Right. I'm happy with that. Right. Um, but it was around that time the pastor came up to us. So I'm going to say... Uh, this October, September, October is going to make 11 years that 11. we've been the children's ministry directors at the church. Right. So not only not only have you been the children's director, but you've been the bass player at CTAB for... Wow. Uh, I've been the bass player at Christian Tabernacle Church since, I'm going to say, let's see, Chucky was born. My oldest son was born in November of 2002. So when we came to the church, he was mm-hmm. already about five or six months old mm-hmm. so i'm gonna say you know early to mid 2003 we've been at the church and prior to that i was already pr- playing for the choir okay so prior to that so, and then we officially became members uh sometime around march or april of 2003 yeah so since then we've been at the church and i've been a you know a musician ever since so it's, it's, it's kind of like co-pastor ed that he came in and he was uh just a just a guitar player for the for the choir because yeah. they needed 
a guitar player about 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, he just... way before my time. Though. Right. No, no, but I'm saying the story is kind of the same, where if anybody sees the Good News Choir, they'll see Pastor Red playing, they'll see you playing, and, you know, the story is behind you two guys is that you guys played for the choir first, and then officially, and then joined. officially joined the church, because yeah. you guys were like, man, I've never... Actually, in Pastor Ed's case, I think he played for... There was another musical group at the church called La Nueva Creación, the okay. Nation. Right. So he was their guitar player first before, I think, if I'm not mistaken... Before the choir? Before he joined the okay. choir officially. So, yeah. He listens to the podcast, so I know that he'll, he'll correct he'll us, correct if, us need, yeah. if need be, <laughs> but... um. <laughs> But you guys came in, right? You guys were playing for another, you know, for the, for the choir, for the, for the other group. And you guys felt the power of God. And you guys were like, man, I got to stay here. There's something different. Or God called us here. Yeah. So it wasn't like we just, we, just came to, we just came over here, played for this group, and just decided to stay here because, you know, we're just like church hoppers and, and like that. It has nothing to do with that. Not at all. It, well, it was just God called you guys there. Yeah, but well, you guys didn't know it yet. The, the connection was just... The music was the connection to the church, right? Yeah, and it's funny the way it all happened because um, Pastor Huey, mm-hmm. now Pastor Huey. Newly, yeah. Um, Pastor, yeah. The re- it's funny how, you know, sometimes we, we, we see coincidence or what we think is a coincidence is not a coincidence when you look at it um, from God's perspective. And how Pastor Huey became a member of Christian Tabernacle Church was actually through my father. Mm. And my father was working at Eastern District High School at the time. He was a, a school health aide. And Pastor Huey was, you know, a teenage student at that school. Mm-hmm. And he told, he found out somehow, I guess, that, uh, that Pastor Huey was, uh, was Christian. Mm-hmm. And somehow, I don't know because I was still too young to know, but he managed to get uh, he, Pastor Huey to be the guitar player, to be a musician for La Nueva Creación. Mm-hmm. And that's how Huey got into that. And then years later... Right. Um, we fast forward now to 2002, 2003. Okay. Then Huey gets in touch with me yeah. and says, listen, you know, we, we have a choir. We need a bass player. We haven't had anybody steady, you know, since we've been around. We need somebody solid that's going to, you know, play for us. And then that's how I joined the choir. Right. So it's funny how my father brought him to the church, to yeah. that church. And then years later, he, you know, makes that connection with me that then I'm now part of the choir and then later becoming part of the church. And um, the way I see it is... um. The church that I was going to before Christian Tabernacle, when I got married, uh, when me and Daisy got married, um, you know, we don't want to name churches. We don't want to name leaders because we're not here For about sure. bashing anybody. For sure. But um, our spiritual life really at that church was not where it should have been. Okay. And uh, being a musician, I was just going to the church, playing on Sundays, playing on weeknights or whatever. But my relationship with God or our relationship with God together as a, as a couple, yeah. as a young married couple, wasn't where it was supposed to be. And a lot of times we would wake up on Sunday mornings and say, are we going to go to church today or are we just going to go shopping? Mm. And it was, it was that bad that wow. we would just rather go shopping, <clears throat> go to the mall, and, wow. and, and, and you know, rather than going to the church and, and giving up that service to God at that time. Right, so right. being a musician, you know, since we're going to get into that topic about yeah. being a musician in the church and holy living and all this stuff. So For sure. I don't want to go ahead of you, but yeah, that's, right. how, that's how we started. So what happens is there was one day when I had already started playing for the choir. Yeah. And... Um, so one morning we got up because we were already feeling a pull to become members of Christian Tabernacle okay. Church. And I remember a lot of times we would be, uh, you know, playing <clears throat> on a Sunday night at Christian Tabernacle, which was at the time located on Liberty Avenue. Yeah. 
And uh, Pastor Huey, who was not a Huey, not a pastor at the time, would tell me, "Yo, I see you as a member of this church, man. Wow. I'm telling you, I see you gonna be you're gonna be preaching in our church." Nice, right? And I would look at him and laugh, and I'd be like, "Okay, you know, whatever." Nice. Um, and I would brush it off as, "Yeah, he's just talking. He's just saying whatever, you know." But little by little, we began to feel that pull, you know, the Holy Spirit tugging on our hearts and and guiding us in that direction. So it's funny. One Sunday morning, we got up and we said, "Cause what we would do is go to our church in the morning." And then in the nighttime, go to Christian Tabernacle to play for the choir. Yeah. Right. So one morning we got up and we were like, listen, we, you know, we, we feel like this tug towards Christian Tabernacle Church. So what should we do? So, you know, we got together. We prayed. Mm -hmm. Mind you, our spiritual life wasn't in that, you know, I got you. there are people you. that pray and God immediately speaks to them, mm -hmm. you know. So we were not there yet. But it so happened that morning we got up and we were praying and we were saying, you know, God lead us. You know, do you, do you want us to move? Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes it's hard for a pastor to accept if you know when their sheep says listen i'm i'm packing up and i'm going to another church yeah so we were like you know you know god speak to us you know what do you want us to do and that night um at christian tabernacle church when we go to the service it's funny how uh, uh pastor robert Seder, who was pastor at that time yeah uh during uh after after his sermon during the altar call he just looks at me and points me out and calls me to the front. And mind you, this is that same day when Daisy and I, I had prayed in the morning. Right. And he's like, where's, where's your wife? Where's your wife? So, uh, you know, we called up Daisy as well. And so we're both in the front. And uh, he begins to minister to us, him and co-pastor Damaris at the time. Mm -hmm. They begin to minister to us. And he's like, listen, you got to pray for them. Because I don't want them to think that I'm trying to pull them away from their church. But right. you got to pray for them. You got to talk to them. And basically, long story short, that night God spoke to us and said, listen, if you stay at the church where you are, you're going to die spiritually. Mm -hmm. And we knew this because we knew how we were living. You know, like I said before, we would wake up and say, nah, we're not going to go to church today. We're going to go shopping instead. So we knew that that was God that had answered us in that same day that Definitely. we had prayed and had, you know, I was the friends of God. But <laughs> it's crazy how that same night God speaks to us, you know. And so from then forward was when the week after that, then we go and meet up with our old pastor. And told him, listen, um, you know, my, you know, we're not growing here spiritually. No offense to you, but mm. we're just not growing here spiritually, and we're gonna, we're gonna move. You know, we're gonna move to another church. Yeah. And you know, unfortunately, he didn't take it well because, like I said, pastors don't like. They're not gonna take members, it well. Of course not. Right. So he didn't take it well, and um, he, you know, there was a little bit of a, a pushback from his from his end. But uh, you know, by the grace of God, we were able to move. Mm -hmm. um, no hard feelings. I don't have any grudges against him. Hopefully, he doesn't have any grudges sure. against me. I seen him a few times afterward, yeah. and he shook my hand and everything. So I'm, you know, yeah. I'm praying that there's no grudge there, you know, in his heart. But you know, we made that move, and um, and we've been at Christian Tabernacle now. Uh, Chucky's gonna be 19 years old in November, so we've been at the church about 18 and a half 18, years. Yeah. So, 18 years. So so yeah, yeah, by the grace of God, we've been here this long, and um. 18 years and then six years after that we got there and we got close and you know our our kids they they, they love each other they have relationships oh, with yeah, each other yeah. you know so it's a growing family all the time and and that's awesome and the reason why uh i'm glad i'm glad you explained all that because i wanted i don't want people to think like oh you know the choir was sheep stealing because they weren't the you know the spirit of god was working things out for people to be where they needed to be mm -hmm. and obviously like you know robert Seda said in you know in the altar call i don't want them to think that we're taking them from their church so you pray for them as the co-pastor and then god i'm pretty sure spoke to you through co-pastor damaris who's now the the senior pastor of our church yes. um and her mother was the founder but um talk to me about um you growing up you're, you're generation x right you're you're before me as I a was born in 78 you're born you're born in 78 so you're a baby boomer yeah 
I believe I believe I'm maybe you had, I'm not sure. I don't know all the details. I think it's Gen X. I, I, I I'm not sure. It might be Gen X. I'm I'm a millennial, but whatever. Um I, I'm 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 more towards like the older millennials. Like I don't really act like a millennial type. I'm not I'm not with a lot of their ideology <laughs> and agenda and thought and things like that. So I kind of wish I was born a couple years earlier because <laughs> to yeah, be yeah. identified as a millennial, sometimes people are like, oh, then you must be like this or you must be like that. Like, no, 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 I, I don't I don't see things that way. But anyway, getting out of that, um, talk to me about the first time that you experienced like, oh, music is so cool. I love music. Well, whether I, what was that experience? Well, my father was a musician. Okay. So I grew up, you know, in the house with with him being a musician, listening to music all the time, you know. What does um, he play? My father plays the pedal steel guitar. Okay. So it's it's more common in country music. Um, also, before that instrument uh, was the Hawaiian guitar. So the pedal steel guitar is basically like an extension to the Hawaiian guitar, which is obviously a, an instrument of Hawaii. Right. Um, so the pedal steel came out after that. So and then that was incorporated into like country music. So that's what my father played. Um, he also plays a little bass. He also plays a little guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up around that, you know, uh, that was the environment when I was growing up. My mom, my mom is not a musician or a singer, but you know, it came strictly from my father's side. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because before him, all of his brothers in, in hit by, you know, his side of the family, my grandfather from his side of the family, they're not musicians. Mm. You know, my grandfather can pick up an accordion and kind of fiddle with it a little bit, but he's not really a musician like that. And so my father was the only musician. Um, so it started you know, from on, your dad? It, it started from my father's side, yeah. Okay. Um, and then obviously my sister, um, for everybody who knows her, she sings as well. Yeah. Um, and so, so we grew up in, you know, in that. We grew up in music, you know, and, and having been born and raised in the gospel, mm-hmm. then from a very early age, I'm going to say five or six years old, I was already a musician in the church. Wow. Uh, I was already playing an instrument at that what age. What were you playing? Uh, I was playing the Hawaiian guitar. Yeah. So I saw my dad playing that, and I wanted to play the same instrument that my dad played. Nice. So he bought me a little, uh, like a student model Hawaiian guitar. Yeah. And I was playing that for a couple of years, you know, e- within the church. And even though I was not good at it, but for my age, I was doing, I was holding it down, you know. <laughs> um, so right. yeah, so that's how I started. That's that's what got me into music. Okay. You know, so I grew up listening to all the old uh, trios, you know, the Christian trios and all the old bands. Um, I wasn't too hip to the American gospel music. Okay. Because my parents, you know, growing up in a Hispanic home, mm-hmm. we leaned more towards the sure. Spanish, sure. uh, yeah. you know, gospel music. But I also did hear a lot of country music mm. because since my father was playing the pedal steel, he would listen to that music just to kind of hear Trying to get better. what those musicians were doing on that instrument, you know, yeah. and then just improving himself on that. So yeah, that's, that's how I grew up and got introduced what, to music. What about, what about um, growing up, who did you respect or be like, man, this guy, I could take something from these guys in the secular side. Is there anybody? So that's the thing that growing up in a Christian home, yeah. like you were saying before, there were certain things that we did not listen to. Okay. There was certain music that we were not exposed to that I wish I would have been at an earlier age. Okay. Uh, so on the secular side, there was not really much that I was influenced by. And also back then, musicians were not the highlight of, mm. of, an, of an album, right? So okay. back then, if, for example, if you heard of Michael Jackson, yeah. right? You only knew Michael Jackson. Right. And on the album cover, it didn't highlight who the musicians were. 
And the same thing with a lot of gospel records as well. You only knew who the main upfront artist was, whoever the singer was. If it was a trio, then you knew the singers. If it was a singular artist, then you knew that artist. You were not put on to all oh, the musician, this, this person playing piano, this person playing guitar. That wasn't really a, a thing back then. So you only knew who the artist, the main artist was. So I can't say really, okay. oh, this musician was an influence to me uh, by name. I can say, well, this guitar line or this bass line stood out to me, yeah. but I can't pinpoint and say this musician. I mean, it wasn't until so, years later, you know, that I knew, that then I figured out, oh, this was the musician are. that was playing on yeah. this album and I liked what they did, you know? So nowadays, the musicians get more shine. Nowadays, a lot of times, the musicians are getting a lot more shine because musicians now are... Uh, especially like bass players and keyboard players are the ones that are producing albums. Right. So they're trying to highlight more the okay. musicians, you know. Uh, back then, I mean, I really don't know how they did it back then and who the producers were and all that. But like now, I'm going to say late 90s, early 2000s, right. then that's when they started to shed the light more on musicians. Okay. Right. I'm talking about from my basic knowledge. Because mm -hmm. like you said, you, you introduced me as an expert in this and that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not an expert, you know. Um, I, I do what I can. But um, so yeah, so... Later on in life, that's when I came to know, oh, this musician is playing in this album or in that album. But usually when I was growing up, you would not see that highlighted in, in the old records. So I can't really pinpoint a specific, except for my dad. My dad yeah. was the only musician that I knew, oh, he played on this record. Because yeah. <laughs> obviously that was the record he brought home and said, look, guys, I recorded this yeah, album. I got you. you know, and then the musicians sense. that were with him. So, uh, for example, uh, Isaac De La Rosa was the drummer for La Nueva Creación. So mm -hmm. I know that because he's our pastor, Damaris's mm -hmm. brother. Right and past you know past the Edward or past the Huey, and Sammy Acevedo played congas on yeah. you know a couple of the albums. So that's how I know them because that was like the inner circle of musicians that I were that I knew of. But other than that, I really had no clue of who was who. So I can't say who influenced me until I was much older, okay. where there were musicians that were actually directly playing an impact on my life, okay. musically speaking. Uh, in both sides, like secular and, and church, or just church? Well, that would be church only because okay. I wasn't allowed growing up in a Christian home to listen to secular music. No, I mean like late nineties, early two thousands. I'm talking about now when you making your own decisions. Oh, now when I'm you got your own yeah. So then home, right? Like so you're now, the pastor of your home, right? When I became older, then I started making my own choices of who I wanted to listen to. Then I started to learn, you know, musically who 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 was influencing musically speaking. Okay. So, like, on the secular aspect, one of the bass players that I listened to, you know, and that I actually got the privilege of meeting in person mm -hmm. was Ruben Rodriguez. Yeah. Um, and I believe he plays at a church in the Bronx called uh, Casa de la Fe. Okay. And um, so I met him uh, in 2017, 2016, 2017, because I believe that was uh, a, wor a workshop that I had gone to for a bass player called Alex Moran. Mm -hmm. And Ruben Rodriguez was there. And Ruben is a world-class musician who played for Mark Anthony, India, yeah. and, and oh, wow. other, and even for jazz musicians as well, because he's not only a Latin bass player, he's also a jazz musician. So I got to meet him. And so it's funny because when I started hearing, like, you know, when I, I had left the Lord when I was 18 years old, mm -hmm. uh, so I would listen to a lot of worldly music, mm -hmm. uh, especially salsa. And I'm like, man, that bass player is killing it. Who is that? And then, you know, when you bought the cassette and you open up the little the little uh, pamphlet inside, it listed the musicians because that was already 90s. It was coming. That's when it was when okay. they were highlighting musicians. So okay. I opened up. I was like, oh, the bass player is Ruben Rodriguez, right? But yet YouTube was still not around. Right. So whenever I heard an album and, it's, and it sounded like him, I'm like, that has to be Ruben or that has to be whichever other musician, you know. But me being a bass player at the time, I was influenced by him 
you know, and the things that he was doing. So yeah, so on on the on the secular aspect, people that I knew, he was one of the guys, musically speaking, that was impacting my ear, my musical ear, and impacting how I played. And then on the on the Christian aspect, you know, there were musicians like uh, bass players like Rick, Ricky Guadalupe, who's yeah. Pastor Edward's brother. Yeah, yeah. Right, a uh, bass player like Solo Rodriguez, okay. who's a legend, you know, okay. and was you know, grow, you know, when I was growing up, he was one of the guys that was playing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. an, another bass player was Danny Rodriguez, um, who's also a popular bass player, you know, in Brooklyn, East New York, and now he lives in, I believe, in North Carolina, and um, you know, so these were guys on the Christian side that I had met growing up, and when I became a bass player, you know, they were. Giving me points and tips, and they were talking to me. Max is excited about yeah, the topic. Max, yeah, Max. Yeah, I know. It's all right. <laughs> so yeah, so on the Christian side, these were musicians that were influencing me. All right, Max. You guys hear my Pomeranian in the background? Actually, my wife's, but you know, he's our family dog. He's excited because <laughs> he loves the he, lo- he loves music as well. I can tell. You know, but um, yeah, those 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 are some dope guys that I I also follow like on on Facebook and stuff like that. Like I've heard of their names, and I know that basses don't usually get top billing or whatever but i know that that's changing and that's the good thing about social media and the impact of the internet yeah, that yeah. a lot everybody's getting some shine now if they're dedicated enough they're good enough and you know, no even if you're not good enough you're getting some even shine. if you're not like, good you enough you can create right. your own you create your own your own youtube channel your own whatever podcast yeah. or whatever and you can create sometimes you if, sound horrible and you get more views for sounding horrible than you get for sounding good <laughs> and people turn you into a meme yeah, and they're man. like this guy sucks and then oh, he'll yeah. get good and then all of a sudden like wow oh wait yeah you'd you be know? surprised I, I, I mean it's not it's not to bad mouth anybody but i mean yeah. I, you know everybody's at a different level yeah you know so you've got the beginners you got the intermediates you got the professionals you know and um, you'd be surprised that even some low-level musicians getting a lot of recognition. Okay. You know, and okay. it has again, it has to do with the with the internet. You know, and social media sure. and stuff like that. So you you want to get yourself exposed. You know, whether you're good, whether you're not good, because I mean, either way, it's like a learning experience for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so somebody might see you and say, "Listen, try this a little differently." You know, and and you can get better like that too. So, you know, I mean, I, yeah, social social media has has, has it's know, helped a lot. For I know. So, um, I know that music. One one of the things that brings us all together as people, right, is music, right? Um, we as humans like to feel like we're all doing the same thing at one time. That's why the NFL is so big because their numbers are really big and everybody feels like on Sundays they're watching football. Mm-hmm. So they feel like, oh, what I'm doing now, somebody else is doing over there and somebody else is doing on another side. And this is like a big old family thing and we're just in separated houses, but it's like one big old event. Yeah. Now, music is like a daily event that everybody could say, wow, man, when I grew up, you know, I used to hear this guy or that lady and they really had a positive effect on me. In the word, I I know that the Bible, you know, gives us examples about music having a good effect on us. Right. So one of the good effects is, you know, King David. Right. As a musician, I know you know this. King David was called on to play before he was a king and he was just David. Right. He was called on to play for Saul, who had who, who was fighting a devil. Right. So spiritually, he was downcast spiritually. You know, he had a war going on inside of him, but he called on David to come play. Mm-hmm. And David was an anointed musician. And obviously we know all the songs that he wrote and the songs that he wrote and things like that. So how have you seen music positively affect people in the church or out the church or however you want to talk about it 
you know, why do you think music affects us like that? Being a musician, like, can you talk about it from your own experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, music in itself, we we call it the universal language, right? Yeah. And it's because no matter what part of the world you're from, if if they flew you right now Mm -hmm. from New York City to India Mm -hmm. and they start playing music in India, you're going to start dancing. If the music feels good to you, it's going to make you move. If it's a sad music, it's going to make you cry. Even if you don't know the context, right? It could be instrumental, right? Music is going to impact you somehow, right? right? So music is that powerful. And the reason why I believe music is that powerful is because music is like the ministry of heaven. Music started in heaven, right? God is the author and the creator of music, right? So... When, when, when you look at all ministries, for example, mm-hmm. to me, I see it like this. Music is the first ministry because it was the ministry of heaven, right? The angels right now are, are worshiping God, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're singing some type of song and praise to God, right? So to me, music over-encompasses of everything in life because God created it, right? It's, it's a ministry now that came from heaven to earth, right? And... It impacts every every nation. Mm. And I think that's because God created it and it's in heaven, right? Like there are other ministries that we see, right? That came afterward, right? We have evangelism. Mm-hmm. But there's a purpose for evangelism. To save, to spread the gospel, right? To, to, to bring the message of the gospel to those that are lost, right? But even before that, there was music, right? So after every ministry is done and, and gone, right? After God, you know, creates a new heaven and earth, there's still going to be music. Right. So to me, music is like that eternal ministry that's, that began in eternity and is going to eternally continue. So I think that's why music that's, is so that's powerful. Fascinating, right? I think that's why music is so powerful and, and, it, and it impacts both negatively and positively, mm. right? So within the church context, right, if you have a, a group of musicians who are anointed, right, who are living a holy life, then we know that that music is going to bring healing. We know that music is going to bring joy. We know that music is going to bring life. That music is, is going to make a person that comes in the church broken, right? That worship is going to bring that person. And it's not the music per se. It's really bringing that person into the presence of God so that then God can minister and do what it, whatever it is that he needs to do in that, am, in that, in that mm-hmm. amb- ambience, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, mm-hmm. the right word I'm looking for. Atmosphere? In that atmosphere, right? right? So it, music in itself is not worship, but it's a channel that God uses to bring worship, right? To open up that atmosphere of worship and praise to God first of, first of all. And then in that atmosphere, then God glorifies himself and does many different things that he, that he does, that only he can do in that atmosphere. And to me, that's why music is really powerful. Mm. That, that, that's fascinating. I, I, I didn't think about that because I read the book of Revelation by itself maybe over five times. Uh, that's a safe number. I've read it more than that. But... I never, I, I never realized how in the book of Revelation, it does say it, but in the book of Revelation, how there is, there is going to be continual worship and praise to the Lord, you know, even after the end of the age, mm-hmm. like I, it just never, it, it just never stuck on me that, yeah, even after the end of the age, this, this language is going to continue, you know, to go even after all these things that we see that are temp- temporal music is going to survive and thrive because it is unto God, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, and I look at music and how it affects everything, 
you know, like you, you said, negatively and positively, right? But the reason why I asked you that question was because I know that you have an experience with music, like few have, because there are over, what, 7 billion people on the planet, and only a fraction of those are musicians. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of those. And one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite examples in the Bible is uh, in First Chronicles 25, uh, verse 1 and 2. It says, Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service of some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, and of Jedithin, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. And the number of the skilled men performing their service was of the sons of Asaph, Sakor, Joseph, Nathaniah, and Ashelera. The sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. Mm-hmm. So, King David had separated um, musicians. So that's what I'm saying. Out of seven billion people, there's a separated few that understand where you're coming from, that what you're talking about. But out of all the over seven or eight billion people, everybody receives from that, from those, from that fraction of people, mm-hmm. because we all have some kind of connection to music whether it be negative or positive. And in this instance right here, we're seeing something positive where the men were separated, but they created an atmosphere of, of prophecy, a prophetic atmosphere, right? Where all of a sudden now, you also had the prophet Elijah, if I'm not mistaken, Elijah or Elisha, that they called on for the musicians to, to they called on the musicians to play for a prophetic atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, call on the musicians so that, I may, so, I may, so that I may begin to prophesy, right? Because it sets an atmosphere, something good, something powerful comes from it. And you speaking about how it's heaven's language, how it originated in heaven, explains a lot why it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Because if it originated from God, it's good. If it originated from God, it's excellent, it's perfect. Obviously, we know that, you know, the enemy copies and, you know, um, things have been, uh, what do you say, diluted, obviously, music. But there's a positive, amazing aspect with music. And this is one of the examples that I love because David was saying that music is going to set the tone right now. You know, it's going to set the tone for this prophetic time. It's going to set the tone, you know, for 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 me and my army. So imagine that, you know, armies needing musicians. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like it's amazing because. You don't only need music to clean. You don't only need music to drive in your car. You don't only need music to work. But you need music for a whole lot of things mm-hmm. that we never even thought of. You know, it's, it's funny just, if you think amazing. about it. Imagine having to go to war, uh-huh. right? So usually, what, what David and the Old Testament what they did when they were getting ready to go to war, they would send the musicians first. Right now, if music brings down the presence of God, mm-hmm. if music provokes God to act, and I'm talking about music that's holy, mm-hmm. right, that's being played by sanctified musicians, imagine stepping into a war mm-hmm. with the God of war going ahead of you because the musicians that were anointed called upon him and played so that his presence would show up right when you're about to go to war. Mm. So imagine... That's why in church it's so awesome when we see the manifestation of the Holy Spirit when we're having a, you know, an awesome worship service and the musicians are going full blown and we see you know the presence of God that's moving in the sanctuary. There's a war that's happening, mm-hmm. right? That's the way I see it. I see it as there's a war that's just that just started. Mm-hmm. The musicians are preparing the atmosphere for the God of War to step in yeah. and fight off on our behalf, right? Just with our praise, but through our praise, fight off. Every illness, 
every demonic possession, every uh, uh, binding that a person's been struggling with for years, any vices, mm. any drug addictions, right? Any any sin that people are struggling with, the presence of God, God steps into that war because we're, like in the Old Testament, we're preparing that atmosphere to right. go to war. So it's crazy, like if you think about it that way, it, it's just a setting of an atmosphere for the God of war to step in and fight on your behalf. So that's how I see it in the Old Testament. That's exactly what they did when they would go to war. They would send out the musicians first mm -hmm. to set the atmosphere, to bring down the presence of God. And many times we know that when, when, when this happened, mm -hmm. the children of God had a victory. I mean, yeah, yeah. you didn't even have to question if they were going to win or not. It was easy. It was yeah. an easy victory. Yeah. Why? Because all they did was set the atmosphere right. so that the God of war would come down and fight on them. It was a lot of plunder. The, a lot yep. of plundering of a goods. A lot of plundering. You, you know, know they, just like Jehoshaphat, he said, he said first the, the musicians, like they, they went in front of the, the, the army and then obviously the God of war came down, confused the enemies and they fought against each other and killed each other. So the armies were just chilling, sitting back, just watching the enemies kill each other. Because the presence of God was brought in through music, Amen. you know, and, and talking about First Chronicles 25, right? Um, in the prophetic atmosphere, um, in the New Testament, it talks to us about prophecy. So we know that a prophet himself or herself is a person who can speak about judgment, direction and correction. But that is a higher level. That is an office of a prophet. Right. But then there is the lower level which is the basic level for everyone, which is musicians and everybody who's playing something can do because it talks about um, edification, exhortation, and comfort. Right. So we, so we can all do that, right? We, Paul said that we can all edify, comfort, and exhort because we can all speak a word. Mm -hmm. But the, 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 um, the musicians here, they, they were called on, right, to prophesy with the harps, with the string instruments, with the cymbals, meaning that... The comfort of the music was helping people, you know, to through through depression and through low thoughts, because when you go to war, it's not easy. And we're in a war every day in our minds and in our spirits, and our hearts, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're at work and you're like, man, I just need something between my ears to help this day go a little faster or not have my mind idle and think about what happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. Or I could just be in the car right now and I just need to focus. I just need some music to just get me relaxed so that I don't think about everything that's been going on and just weigh myself down. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's what I love about this verse is that the prophetic atmosphere that it was setting was not only for David to prophesy but or Asaph to prophesy, but... They were setting an atmosphere of comfort. And that's what music does for us. Amen. You know, and you talked about a negative, you talked about a negative aspect that there's music that brings negative attention and negative things to us, you know. So it can comfort us or it could bring us to a place even lower because there are certain types of music that do that. Yep. I mean, I've heard of stories where there are gang members mm -hmm. that are about to go and like shoot out another gang, uh, you know, a, a gang that's a, a rival gang. Mm -hmm. And what they do, they get into their cars, they start smoking their marijuana, their weed, whatever you mm -hmm. want to call it, right? To get them into the state of ecstasy, I guess, if you want to call it that. And then on top of that, they'll blast on some hardcore, you know, gangster rap, mm -hmm. which sets them up, right? It, it, it wakes up their spirit or mm -hmm. their their 
anger, you know, yeah. or their rage or whatever you want to call it. Their boiling it, point. It basically brings them to that point where yeah. now they're going to go and rival somebody. They're going to, sh- like, it, you know, a gunfight. Mm-hmm. And so that music arouses that feeling, mm-hmm. right? So you have different types of music that set you up in different, you know, in different moods, right? So, yeah, so there's a lot of negative. And obviously we know that Satan himself, right, Lucifer, when mm-hmm. he was in heaven, he was the worship leader. Right. When God created his body, his body itself was an instrument that was used to glorify God. Right. So what happens? He fell from grace because of his pride. So now he takes the what God created to be basically medicine for the soul. Right. Right. Ministry to the soul. The devil takes and distorts that just like he does with everything else, just like he's done with marriage, just like he's done with a bunch of other things. Right. That God created to be holy to be perfect the enemy distorts the music now and now we see all these rappers and that are that are or not just rappers but even in sexual r&b songs right we hear all these lyrics to these songs that are enticing people right mm-hmm. and luring them into committing adultery mm-hmm. they end up raping people mm-hmm. uh, you know you have then the, the gang bangers that go around listening to that gangster rap that makes them irate and sets them up getting ready to kill their rival you know rivals so we see the negative side of this too yeah. And this is the enemy that takes something that God created to be holy, to be good for us, mm-hmm. and distorts it. And now we see the negative impact of music, you know. And, and that's something that, as a musician, you know, you got to keep yourself in your mind. You got to do your best always to, you know, stay focused on the word. Renew your mind daily, right, through the word. And then also be very careful of the music that you listen to, right? Be careful of the, the things that you allow in your ears mm-hmm. because that can influence your soul it could disturb your soul yeah. or it could put you into a mood of worship right if you're listening to you know christian holy music right? right that can put you in an atmosphere of being at peace you know always making positive decisions throughout your day reacting in a certain way where you know you're not coming off angry you're not coming off with an attitude like the other day i was driving and i had classical music on playing in the car okay so uh, my wife is like, oh, you, now you're listening to classical music? I'm like, this is the best way to fight road rage, you know? <laughs> I mean, yes, gospel music will do that, yeah, right? Yeah. But then you got them gospel songs that amp you up. Like, yeah, you yeah. want to fight the devil, you, and sometimes you could misdirect that. Like, I don't want to fight the devil right now. I just so, you want to fight road rage. So with classical music, I'm noticing that I'm driving a little bit more relaxed. I drive a little slower. Why? Because, you know, the music is soothing, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be... Christian music. Classical is right. um, Beethoven type stuff, right? right, right. Like, that's Beethoven, what Beethoven was at? Okay. Right, so, you know, and a lot of these uh, um, writers were actually Christian, you know, back in, oh, the, in, in this 1800s, 1700s. These guys, a lot of them, you know, had Christian foundation. So a lot of the music that they that they wrote, even if it wasn't a Christian song per se, yeah. right, they wrote it, you know, to glorify God. Okay. You know, and if you listen to it, it's very soothing, it's very relaxing. Okay. So it kind of puts you in that laid back mode, right? So that's one thing that I started doing now when I'm driving. And now I got classic music in the car. You know, sometimes we'll have gospel music or yeah. like 80s music and stuff like that. You know, just for the family to have fun or whatever, sing along. But, you know, music has that power, man. So, yeah, the enemy takes it, distorts it. And, you know, like I said before, you have the negative effects to it, right? Yeah. But it was never intended that way. For sure. It was always intended for the people of God, you know, the angels in heaven, the people of God to glorify God, right? And to, be, to minister to the people of God. Is um talking about classical music? Is bass prevalent in the in, in classical music at all? Bass is prevalent, but not in the way you think, because way um, okay. there's an instrument that is called the string bass. Right? Other people may know it as the upright bass. It depends on how you play it. It looks basically like a giant violin. 
Oh, and it's basically okay. as tall as me standing up, oh, right? Wow. And I'm almost six feet tall. Yeah. Some of them are even bigger, right? So it's, but you play like a violin, but in standing position. And obviously the, you got heavier strings, so you get the lower notes. So yes, bass is prevalent in, in classical music. Uh, that's how you hear a lot of thunders. When you hear a lot of, a lot of thunder yeah. in, in, uh, in classical music, that's a combination of the uh, string bass and the timpani drums, you know, okay. that create that. You know, so yeah, so music can create so many moods. It's it's just amazing. Man. So uh, another thing that Chronicles talks about, right in twenty five one here, is that David and the captain separated some for the service, right? Right. They were separated. So the Levites. Um, talk to me about the Levites because I know that in the Old Testament, the Levites people just think of them as musicians, but we know that they're not only musicians. They had other stuff that they had to do. Their lives revolved not just around music, but service to God, right? Yep. Because there's a lot of musicians now that they come and they play, and that's what they do. But their service to God is kind of like lacking. So that doesn't help the music ministry in the church to grow. And that doesn't help the people that they're transmitting to to grow. Mm -hmm. Because they come and they play... But their service and their set apart time is, you know, inconsistent. Right. You know, for some. So, talking about the Levites and their, their their set apart life, and not only being all about music, but also being in service to God. Like, what, what do you think about them? Well, and so what is what what are their what are their um, example to us? What example did they lead to us or to you as a musician? Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you look at the the Levites in the Old Testament, and then you look at Levites modern day Levites, right? There's a big gap, right? And when it comes to the culture, when it comes to the purpose, uh, when it comes to the, the times that we're living in are, you know, widely different, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's the, the time gap is, is just too big, right? But in the Old Testament, we see that the Levites uh, the, from the tribe of Levi, they, they, their land was taken from them, mm. right? So they didn't, ha they didn't inherit a land. Their, their land was taken from them and given to the other tribes, right? Mm -hmm. But they were designated an important task, right, to serve in the temple. And like you said, they were not just the musicians, mm -hmm. right? They were assigned to be the ones who ministered in the temple. Um, and, there, and, and there were levels of ministry, there were different uh, levels of ministry within the temple itself. So the Levites were basically split up, split up. Like right now in our church, we have the musicians, right? Okay. But we also have the ushers, right? We have the deacons, mm -hmm. right? We have the people who clean the temple, Right. We have the people who set up the temple before the service begins. Right. We have people that break down right after the services. You know, I'm talking about like, for example, in our church, we set up the chairs, we break down the chairs. Right. So there was different levels within the Levites themselves, how they operated within the, within the tabernacle. Mm -hmm. Right. And we know that the tabernacle was basically a large tent that was broken down and put back together. So, you know, part, some of the Levites, their task was also in breaking down the tabernacle, packing everything up, moving to the next place, setting up the tabernacle, right? Some of them worked in the outer courts. Some of them worked in the inner courts. Some of them, worked in, some of them uh, ministered in the holy place, right? In the holies of holies, mm -hmm. right? So there were different purposes and different tasks within the Levites. So, you know, a lot of times nowadays, like you said, we, we talk about the Levites, Levites and people automatically think singers and musicians, right? right? But it, it's more than that. Right. So the way I see uh, the way I'm impacted, uh, the way I think about a modern day Levite is like, for example, when I get to church with my family. Right. What do I do? I have my boys, mm -hmm. you know, as soon as we go in, 
we start setting up the chairs, right? Because, yeah. like, you know, it's a shared And I've space. seen them do that, yeah. Right? So, sure. so that's part of the task of the Levites. We're setting up the temple, right, for the people of God to come in and worship, right? And then, yes, you know, we set up the chairs. Then we go, we pray. Then, you know, m me and one of my other sons, Manny, who plays trumpet, right? Then, then we go, we, we pray, and then we set up our instruments, and we minister in that aspect, mm -hmm. right? But there's so many different areas, right? And I look at the ushers as Levites as well. I look at the, the deacons as Levites as well because they're ministering in the temple, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say that the, Le uh, the ushers are modern-day Levites, right? The deacons are modern-day Levites. Okay. Anyone who's servicing within the temple is a, is a modern-day Levite. Okay. So that's how I see, you know, from, the, from back then and from now. I don't know if that answers your question. No, for sure. Um, another question I have is, are the, are the musicians nowadays having... Too much just, I don't know, I would say fun in, and just having fun and not taking um, precautions with their spiritual lives. And uh, they just showing up for a gig is what I'm saying. Right. Like, how, how, is the, how is that negatively impacting churches? So, all right. So that's a really good question, because if we look at... Um, the specifics in the Old Testament, okay. the musicians that David selected, the musicians that Aaron selected, right? The Levites that were musicians. Yeah. These people were expert musicians. Like these guys were professional. These guys were the guys that you would see playing mm. at the Blue Note. You know, these are the guys that you would see playing at all the big concerts, right? Quote unquote, right? Yeah. These guys were all professional expert musicians at their craft, right? The ones, the people who edified the temple, these guys were expert craftsmanship that knew how to build things, right? Yeah, yeah. So, we, you know, in, in one aspect, we, there's, a, there's a good side to wanting to play good for the Lord, for sure. right? And like you're saying, are the musicians having too much fun? Are they, you know, you know just only focused on the aspect of their profession, you know, professionalism, mm -hmm. right? Within the church and being good at what they do. So, me personally, I've seen that a lot. Right. As I've gotten older mm -hmm. and I've come to understand what it means to be a minister, a music minister, mm -hmm. you know, I do see on YouTube and on the Internet and on, you know, social media, you know, musicians that I've known that I grew up playing with, you know, and I'm not again, I'm not going to put names out there because no, we're not here to sure. bash anybody. Not here to do that. Right. But you see where there's a leaning towards of only being professional right. and wanting to sound as good as everybody else or better. Right. And then you kind of see the losing of the holiness. Right. And how do you see that? The Bible says that by the fruits, you will know them. Right. And the reason why you see the losing of the holiness is because now a lot of musicians that you would have seen years ago playing in the church are now playing the clubs and playing, you know, the gigs where you see people drinking and dancing. Mm -hmm. Now, are we supposed to play in those uh, um, in those arenas or in those atmospheres? Everybody has their own conviction, okay. right? So I'm not judging them for that. Okay. If they're doing it for the sake of this is my job, and in their heart, in their heart, only they know, and only they know, yeah, yeah. and God knows. In their heart, if they're in that aspect because it's like, oh, this is my job, this is what I do, this is how I make a living, and if in their heart that is a pure uh, uh, um, motive, mm -hmm. right, then amen. Mm -hmm. If that's how they live, fine. Mm -hmm. But it... it I, I tend to believe that the more you're in that environment, mm -hmm. if you're not seeking God, if you're not praying, if you're not living that life of holiness, that life will pull you out. You're going to fall the other you're way. You're going to fall the other way. Right. Right. No, I don't care which way you, you know, what argument you put behind it. 
you're gonna eventually fall out, right? right? And how do you know? You see the fruit, you see the appearances, and of course the Bible tells us to judge the heart, right? Or to 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 uh, not to judge people for their exterior, mm -hmm. but look at their life, right? We we judge people by their fruits, right? But if you're starting to look more and more like the world, then where is your heart, right? right? And that's what we want to be careful with as musicians, right? We want to be professional, we want to play, you know, we want to give God the best. But then at the same time, we can't lose that holiness, right? And I'm not a professional musician. I, I'm, you know, I grew up in the church. Mm -hmm. I've learned how to play by ear. You know, and there was a point in school where I was playing in the school bands, but I never learned how to read music. I remember when mm -hmm. I was in the sixth or seventh grade in music class, the piano teacher had two of us, you know, playing on the piano. And since I was listening and playing by ear, right, the kid next to me was not a, a was not a, a what we would call a. a uh, a natural musician it wasn't in him but he was learning how to read music and you would see him playing based off of what he was reading but when the music teacher walked by and saw that i wasn't reading the music but i was still playing the music mm -hmm. he yelled at me and said why aren't you reading the music you're supposed to be reading the music and i said i'm sorry i just don't understand all these dots i don't understand what you know and i know that he was breaking it down at the beginning of the year okay this means this this means that you, this means you play the note for this amount of time and this is that note okay. but for me for some reason I don't know if it was dyslexia or I don't know what it was the music chart wasn't making sense to me right. but since I was already playing in church prior to that sorry yeah. since I was already playing in church right um the music I could hear it and I could sense where it was going, right. so I didn't have to look at the sheet music. You had a feel for it. Right? I had a feel for it, and I was already a, a natural-born musician playing by ear, and I was already playing in church. So when it came to the educational part of it, it just wasn't making sense to me. So, you know, I, I was, I'm not a professional musician, mm -hmm. right? There are plenty of other bass players that could destroy me in a heartbeat, mm -hmm. right? But I defend myself, and I do what I can for the Lord, right? right. And so there was a point where I always was practicing with this mentality of, oh, I need to get better, I need to get better, I need to sound like this guy, I need to sound like that guy. But then there came a point where I broke out of that. And now I was like, okay, I, I, I think I play well enough, right? Mm. Um, I, I just want, <laughs> well, how can I live better now for God? How yeah. can I give my, my talent to God better, you know? So, um, you know, we got to keep that balance. We have to play good for the Lord, but don't, don't lose that holiness aspect. And I think that that's the problem with a lot of musicians today. They want to... Mm sound too much like the world and it's not a not i'm not talking about skills mm -hmm. but i think they want too much the recognition that the worldly uh, guys get okay and that's kind of distracting people and pushing people away from that holy living for god you know one of the things that's funny is that i could picture that and put my feet in there in those shoes because but as a preacher type not as a musician obviously because I was just talking about I was just talking with somebody the other you know yesterday about how as preachers we aim to be better speakers. But if we look at the Bible and we live by the Bible, being a better speaker is not the aim. So there comes a time. So when you say that there was a point in your in your life where you were like, I was just aiming to practice to be better, right? But maybe my service was a little off or shaky with the Lord, I could understand that because there are times where I could say, man, I just wanted to learn how to be a better orator mm -hmm. and just project the message that I was going to preach to the people so that they could get it in a smoother way, in a nicer way, in a more eloquent way so that, you know, they could just receive it coming from me. But sometimes you forget as a preacher that they're not receiving it from you. They're receiving it from God just through your voice box. Right. That's what it is. So... 
and and I know that I'm not the only one that is uh, culpable of this. A lot of preachers, they start out and somewhere in the middle, they're like, man, I just want to know how to be more loquacious and to have a better cadence and things like that. We just want to understand the art of speaking better. So we'll we'll try to be better speakers and then we'll kind of like drift away and forget about the service to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Because we all just want to be better at what we do, at what we've been gifted at. But when we... When, when we drift away and just start focusing on just being better, that's not a good balance either. Some people think like, oh, I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to get better. That's not, that's not the focus, the main focus. The main focus is pleasing God and helping his people. And at the same time, trying to be better, doing what you can to be better, right? Being at home when nobody's watching, playing that bass. And still, and still at the same time, probably just worshiping at the same time and praising God and saying, God, I'm trying to get better naturally, but I'm also trying to get better spiritually. Mm-hmm. And at times, I'm by myself and I can be like, okay, I want to know how to say something and make it mean and make it mean some and make it mean, uh, make it come out stronger, make it come out better. But I also want to take this word in for me. Well, God is speaking to me. Right. I want to know how to project it better to the audience that I'm going to project it to. But I also want to take it in and practice it. Not only be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Mm-hmm. You know, so that has made me, uh, if you want to use, let's use the word better. Let's go better because that's what we're saying, right? It has made me better, not only naturally, but spiritually. Because, I'm, because I said to myself, okay, I can, I can uh, study homiletics, which is the art of preaching. But I can also, at the same time, Give that on to God and just say, get get in a prayer closet and say, okay, this is what I learned. Now, Holy Spirit, teach me what is it that you want to say to the people. Right. Right. And I think that's the whole, I think that's, that's the key right there. So the thing is, um, where, what, what is our focus, right? Mm-hmm. With wanting to get better, with wanting to sound better, with yeah. wanting to speak better, what with is wanting our to focus, play better. Right? So the thing is, what is the focus? Am I doing it so that people could say, wow, Gabby is an amazing bass player. Look yeah. at everything that he plays, which I, I look at myself, I'm like, oh, wow, I have a long way to go. Yeah. Like people, like we'll be playing in the service and I'll play something that might have sounded cool and the guys will look at me and smile, but that's not the focus, right? Mm-hmm. If that's just something that musically we know happened, right? Or, or if, you know, the drummer does something awesome, right? Musically, the, on, in that aspect, like we know what's happening, right? But the people in the audience, right? They don't, there's things that they don't notice. Right. So my thing is, am I playing so that the people in the audience could notice, notice me? Right. Or am I playing to glorify God? Mm-hmm. Do I want to sound better? Do I want to speak better? So that people could say, wow, look, this person, you know, sounds great or speaks great. Or do I want to do it for the praise and worship of God in excellence? See that? So there's a difference. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong really with wanting to sound better. It's just where is that focus not, coming yeah. from? Right? So yeah. where's your heart in that? So do yeah. I, again, do I want to be better so that people could look at me? Or do I want to be better so that people could receive better mm-hmm. the message that God wants to give them? And I don't see anything wrong with that. You should. I, I, you know, no, any no, for sure. Anybody want, should want to be better. Yeah. You know? it, it's just the, 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 the danger of unbalance. Right. You know, and like I said, you've been there. You just said it. I've been there. I, I could say that I've been there. That danger of unbalance where it's like, okay, I just want to focus on being a better speaker. You know, but then you catch yourself or God brings it to your attention to say better, God brings it to your attention. Hey, you're focusing on being a better speaker, which is not wrong. But now you're missing my point. You're missing my mark. Right. So now you're not feeding the sheep 
the way that they're supposed to be fed. Right. And that doesn't help the church. We're coming up on a break here. So we're gonna I'm gonna be right back with my brother Gab. We got some more stuff to talk about. Um I wanna get into some UFC. Cause I, I I know you're a UFC, not a buff anymore, but uh, but but there's something important coming up tonight. Um we're also gonna get into his son a little bit, my son. Uh they're both musicians, so we wanna talk about that a little bit and just keep talking music. And um definitely we'll talk some fights, man, because I, I know you're a fight fan. So we'll All we'll right. be back. I'll be right back with that though. All right, so I'm back. We're back. Basis extraordinaire, father of the year. You know, how many more things can I say? Political commentator, <laughs> basis, man of God. My man, Gabby, um, he's back here for hour number two. Uh, we've been talking music, and we're going to continue to just talk a little bit, little bit of music. But I want to get into a father of a, your father of another musician. Uh, obviously, your dad is the one that started the legacy your dad playing the Hawaiian guitar, right? And then you playing the bass, and now your son plays trumpet. the trumpet, and he plays at, at the church. So we have two trumpet players at the church? What's our layout, uh, our Deacon, complete band? We have Deacon Tony mm-hmm. playing first trumpet. Then we have my son, Manny, playing trumpet. Mm-hmm. My niece, Nina, who also plays trumpet. Okay. Then we have two flutes, which is uh, Sister Elizabeth and Sister Lydia. Yep. Right. So that's our horn. That's our wind and horn section right there. Right. And we have the drummers, right, which they all interchangeable now. <laughs> right. We have Gijo. Yeah. Right, who, lead drummer. Who's the right. lead drummer. Prior to him was Pastor Huey, who was the drummer for many years. Right. And then we have Magdiel. Then we have your son, Caleb. My right, son who's is also now upcoming. He's like third, fourth. He's fourth string. Right. So we have Jason. Fourth. We have Jason who plays drums, but also plays guitar, also plays keyboards. Right. Then we have uh, Sammy Acevedo on the congas. And when he doesn't play, then Little Sammy, which is uh, not, he's not related to him, not by blood, but, mm-hmm. little, you know, Little Sammy, who's uh, learning how to play the congas. A backup conga player. Right. right he's a yeah. backup. Right, then we My have, son is also a backup conga player. He plays... Um, then the timbales. The timbales as well. We rotate right? with that, Ro- we, with those right. guys. We do rotations. We want to keep the kids active. You yeah. Know? We don't want them to get discouraged, so we just do rotations on that. Right. Then we have Brother Danny on keys, who just joined us maybe like five or six months ago, I would say. And we have Sister Sarah, who also plays the keys. Mm-hmm. We have DJ on the... Choir director as well. And their choir director, right? Her and Jason. Yeah. Then we also have um, DJ, who does the, the electronic xylophone. Yep. Right? So that's basically our whole band setup. And then me on bass. We also have Pastor Edward, who is the main guitar player of the church since way before I even joined, right? Right. So he's also sitting in when Jason is not. Right, around, he's not there. Right? So that's and he's it. still the lead guitarist for the choir. And he, right, Pastor Edward. Uh, Pastor Edward. I don't, yeah, I, I don't know what the decision is on that yet. Okay. I, but yeah, he's still the guitarist for the choir. He usually is the I, one that I see play Yeah, I, I think he's going to... I don't know if he's on uh, the verge of retirement already. <laughs> um, I guess he'll make the announcement when he's ready. He might be. He might uh, be. But, um, but yeah, so he's No still, spoilers here. Yeah, We're no, not breaking no, no any spoilers. news. No spoilers. We're not no breaking news. <laughs> We're not saying that his 35-year career is coming to an end. He'll, he wants that pension, I think. He'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll decide. CTAP has a good pension plan. <laughs> I think... We'll I'm see. not a musician, I we'll think, we'll so I, I don't know. <laughs> but that's a lot that, that that's a lot of people um in, in the music group that we have. We have about almost 
a 40 member choir if it's not 40 members i think it's near 40 right or it's approaching yeah, 40 uh, something uh, like it's that it's been always I, I mean since our since i started out with the choir it's always been in that range in that 30 40 range 30 40 range right, right? it yeah. would take a few because sometimes you know people leave mm-hmm. or they've let either le- they've left the church they retire maybe, from the choir or maybe they just retire from the choir yeah. they feel that you know they're going to move on to other things yeah a couple but people it's, it's always been within that 30 and 40 range okay since i've been with the choir yeah since i've been there since i've been at ctab since 08 it's always been approaching 40 or close to 40 yeah, yeah. you know people retire from the choir people move people leave the church mm-hmm. some people come in you know we we got newer musicians and things like that but our our, our wind um s- section has grown a lot oh yeah in the last in the last year how, how many years since before covid that's when when we were still at 234 2019 right we, we yeah we used to be 20 i'm gonna say from like 2017 on okay that's when the horn section really started to develop. We used you know? to be at, for those that don't know, we used to be at 234 Chestnut between Atlantic and Fulton in Brooklyn. We moved very close. We're at 616 Jamaica now and Highland, uh, Highland Place. But um, that's where it started growing, the, yeah. the, horn, the horn section, right? Start, who did it start out with? It was always Deacon Tony. He was He's, the first trumpet player. He was the first trumpet player. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, and then how did the bug hit your son? Well, the bug hit my son because he actually started off uh, learning how to play the bass. Cause he's second, he's the se- he's the second. He's second trumpet. Second trumpet in the church, right? Yeah. In in the in in the music ministry. Yeah. So then, yeah. How did that hit him? So what happens is when he when he got to junior high school, um, the school he was going to had a, a band class. Okay. Right. They had a little music program going, and originally he was learning how to play the bass, and I had bought him a bass. For his birthday or Christmas, I don't remember what it was, but we we had bought him a little student bass, mm-hmm. and he's got a really good ear. He has perfect pitch. So perfect pitch is basically you hear a note and you can tell you you can name the note just by the sound. Mm. So he has perfect pitch. So does he read? He reads music. Yeah, because he learned in school how to read music. So he's got he's 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 got a, two ups on me. He has perfect. So pitch he's ahead of you, and he knows how to read. And that's the goal. The well, goal is yeah. always to have our kids be better than Definitely. us, right? 100%. That's always the goal. Yeah, I always tell my kids. I want you guys to be better than me in every aspect. Yep. You know, financially, if it's music skills, I want you to be better than me in, in life. Whatever job you have, I want it to be 10 times better than my yep. job. I want you to have a 10 times better car than what I have. You know, I want you to have a bigger house than what we get in the future. You know, it, it's always, the push is always so that our kids can be better than us, right? Better, we want to yeah. set, set, set them up. So he, That's he, a good balance of better. Right. right? Always That's setting up balance, our kids. Right. And um, so he got into the trumpet because in junior high school, uh, that that was one of the instruments that were available for him to pick up, mm. and once he picked it up, man, I, I tell you, um, he 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 just flew like yeah. it, everything like came natural. At the beginning, it was a bit of a struggle mm-hmm. because if you know anything about playing the trumpet, uh, there's something that's called the embouchure that has to do with how you position your your mouth and your lips on that mouthpiece. Okay, if you don't have a good game when it comes to your embouchure you're never going to be a good trumpet player because mm. that's where it starts. The sound starts from you, from your mouth and your lungs. So if you don't have good lungs, right, if you don't develop that lung power, the, the, how to breathe properly, how to have your, that perfect armature on the mouthpiece of the trumpet, you're not going to get good at playing the, playing the instrument. It's just going to be frustration after frustration. So people, so people who play in the wind section... They should be in the gym, right? Working out, running, or running a mile, or whatever, like, mm. to be better. What I'm saying, to no. be... Do you have an advantage when you're in shape? Mm, 
over no. people who are not in shape? No, in I, wouldn't, wings? I wouldn't say that no? because I've seen professional musicians, trumpeters that are physically speaking, when you look at them, not in shape. They're not in shape. I mean, round is a shape, but that's not yeah. the shape you want them to be in, right? <laughs> right. Um, and they are amazing at their instrument. So okay. when when we talk about being in shape, we're, we're referring to more the technique that you develop on the instrument, right? Okay. How you breathe. The same thing with singing, okay. right? We see a lot of, you know, big singers, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's because of their technique of how they breathe, right? Mm. How they let the notes out, right? Are they singing from the throat or are they singing from the gut? So there's right? no advantage to being in physical shape. I mean, if to if, a singer and a and a and a if wind you, instrument player, yeah, phys- there are physiological ad, uh, adv- uh, advantages. Uh-huh. For example, if I'm a piano player, right, and this is not to you know make fun of anybody, but if I'm a fan, a piano player with ten fingers, okay, I have an advantage over the piano player who might be missing a few fingers. No, that doesn't mean that he can't be an amazing musician. Yeah, right. That just means that there's something phys- physiological in my body that gives me an advantage. Okay. So, for example, if I'm a trumpet player, mm-hmm. but I suffer from arthritis, mm. right? Um, when I play over the valves of the trumpet yeah. and my fingers are going to be in pain, that's a disadvantage to me, right? So, yeah, there are okay. some advantages, okay. but it's what pertains to that instrument at that given point, okay. right? So, just because you're physically fit doesn't make you a bad or a good musician, it's your technique on the instrument and how you've developed uh, your skills on that instrument over time. That, that's good to know because I, I, I thought like, man, if you're a, a flutist or a trumpet player, like you, you might want to hit the gym or whatever, but it has little to do with that right. and just more about you knowing how to project and you knowing how to play and you knowing how to set your lips upright and your fingers upright. The technique outweighs... The, the the physiological right that's what you're saying okay right. I, so, I never I, I i didn't know it was that big of a disparity yeah that it doesn't matter no it it doesn't matter and it okay. does at the same time so it, you know, it you. all depends on how you practice and the time that you give into your instrument right? so um, so going, going back to my son yeah right? go ahead so that's what in I want junior to go back high to. school so when the music teachers saw his ability right in the trumpet and on the trumpet okay. and how musically he had just like this really sharp ear hmm. Right, the kid who had been playing the trumpet from a year before him, who was already a senior and had been in the band before my son was in the band, uh, you know, the music teacher pulled me over to the side and said, "Listen, if this kid wasn't here, he's here because of seniority. Mm-hmm. But if he wasn't here, your your son would be the first trumpet right now, right? So you know, we wanted to give respect to that other kid because he was there first, you know. But uh, the music teacher saw that my son had just that little extra." That extra, you know, ear, you know, that, that, that giftedness, yeah. right, that really moved him to say, listen, I know of a high school that has a great music program, and I'm going to refer your son. So when that's, what happens is that school has, has an amazing band, which is East Williamsburg Scholars Academy okay. in, in Brooklyn, okay. and they have an amazing music program there. So when they would go to my son's junior high school, mm-hmm. when they saw my son play, and they introduced, my, my son's teacher introduced him to that band, to the teacher of that band. He was like, wow, I really want you to come to my school. Mm. So that's how he was able to get into the, the band in high school. And when he came in, you know how you have junior varsity and you have varsity. When yeah. you come in, you got to sort of junior varsity. Yeah. When my son went into high school, they put him in the, with the top <laughs> a, a jazz band wow. because he was able, you know, his, his abilities were there already. So, you know? And of course, that's, we know that that's God-given. For you know, sure. That's a God-given sure. thing. How much of him growing up in church... And seeing you practice and seeing his granddad and just witnessing 
the band that we have or had when he was growing up? How how much do you think that got him to a quicker start? What's funny is that it didn't get him to a quicker start. No? Because, like I told you, I started playing when I was a kid. I was five or six years old when I was already playing an instrument. He didn't start playing in church till after he was already in junior high school. Mm. That's when he started to play the trumpet in church. When okay. he would take, like, on the, on the kids' service nights... He would take his trumpet and play like one tune or try to do, you know, something on the trumpet. Does it help your ear to be in church that long, though? So here's the thing about being a musician in church. And a lot of people will tell you this, that even musicians, a lot of musicians that are not in church, that are out, you know, professionally, secular secular musicians, Uh started out within the church. Yeah. And a lot of them will tell you school was my uh, church was my training ground. Right. Right. When I was in church, that's where I learned everything that I needed to learn musically speaking and, and as far as sharpening my ear mm-hmm. being in church is really what has opened them up and now you see them out there you know touring yeah. and stuff and a lot of them will say church was my training ground you know mm-hmm. and they attribute a lot of what they learned and a lot of their preparation to being in church so just his ear being ahead of everybody else's you could attribute to being definitely. growing up in church just definitely. listening definitely even though he started playing after, but he started think, playing late he started playing late okay right so when he was in high school you know high school you're what 11 12 13 years old right? yeah. i mean um, i'm sorry not 10, high school, middle school middle school 10 11 right? 12 yeah 11 12 13 years old mm-hmm. that's when he started playing when he started practicing on the trumpet right okay. so he started late but even though he started late the fact that he was in church listening to me play listening to the band right and listening to the band uh, all in christ you know yeah. listening to the stuff that we were doing like he was already sitting back and he would look at me like if i made a mistake he would look at me with that smile like i i caught that mistake ah. so you know he knew like his i would i knew that his ear was already being sharpened and he was paying attention so whenever i made a mistake <laughs> i looked at him and he was smiling like, yeah you know you messed up <laughs> and i'm like yeah okay <laughs> wow so um nice. so yeah so i knew that you know it was already something in him right and my older son, he's not into music, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, it's weird, you know, the, the way God gives gifts yeah. to certain people, yeah. you know? And, and I see the same thing now in your son, right? Whenever I'm playing... And I'm not into music, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it, God is selective, it's amazing, man. Yeah. God but my wife you, is part of the choir. Right, so, so. <laughs> it, it's just crazy the way God, the Holy Spirit gives the gifts. At, you know, the Bible says that he gives the gifts according to his will, right? Yep. So it's amazing that even your son, right? Sometimes when he's listening to the music, and even though he's playing the congas or the timbales, mm-hmm. if he hears something that happened in the music, he looks at us and he, he smiles. He's like, so you know, his ear is right there, you know, <laughs> right. he's like catching on to these things. Right. You know, that's a good thing, you know. So yeah, so that's how my son, you know, started to develop. And, you know his ear, his musical ear, and then eventually now on the trumpet. Like he, if he sees on TV, he'll see a, we're watching a movie, mm. and there's a trumpet player that's playing, and he be like, "That that guy's not playing for real because that fingering is not the note that ah. he's playing." So he, that's the perfect pitch together with him already knowing the fingering on the. So horn. he could tell he's act. He could tell he's acting. He knows who's acting and who's playing for real. Wow. Yeah, like what, there was one movie with Steve Martin. The movie's called The Jerk, and there's a part where uh, uh, Bernadette Peters. She's one of the protagonists in the movie. She's playing the trumpet, and he's like, I think she's playing for real because that's the fingering to the notes. Mm. So, you know, so he has that ability. So nice. I know that as he gets older, he's going to just continue to get better, you know. And, and that's how he got into the trumpet. That's, that's long, awesome. You know, man. long story. I took a yeah. long time to explain, but yeah. So as a, as, a, as a musician, and then as a father of a musician now, um, what, are the, what are some of the things that you tell your son, here are the good parts, but then here are the pitfalls and here's how to avoid the pitfalls of just going to church and just doing and just being in, just playing a game. Right. Because that's not what you want, obviously. Right. 
Um, that's actually a good question because I remember last December, <clears throat> uh, All in Christ, the band I played for, which is an instrumental gospel group for those of you who don't know what All in Christ is. Mm -hmm. um, I had done a studio session because we were working on a Christmas video. Mm -hmm. So I went to one of our keyboard players' house um, who had a small studio in the old house where he was living. And so I had to go in and uh, do a dub on a, bass, on a bass track that I had done. So I took my son with me, Manny, you know, the trumpet yeah, player. I yeah. took him with me so he could see what it is, what you do when you're in a studio. So I'm there, whatever, you know, playing, doing the tracks or whatever. So we, you know, we're done. We, we wrap, wrap up the track and we're going home. And this is exactly what I, the question you asked me is exactly what I started talking to him about. And I'm like, I'm like, you see, this is what a studio session is like. Right. And then I started to explain to him that as he gets older, as he gets better on his instrument, people are going to call him mm. for sessions. People are going to call him. Listen, we want you to come to the studio to lay a trumpet track. Mm. Right. And I told him that's where you have to be cautious. And this is where you pick and choose, you know, your gigs, right? And, and how to choose uh, properly the type of gig that you want, you know, you want to take on. Because I told him not every environment that you step into is going to be sound for you as a Christian, right? Right? There are going to be times when you step into a music studio where the people might need you to lay a trumpet track, but they're not saved, yeah. right? So there might be some conversations that, as a Christian, you might want to try to avoid. Okay. Or there might be people outside smoking, you know, smoking whatever. And you don't want to get caught up in certain things. So I told him, you know, me being a Christian, a Christian musician, mm -hmm. I know who I'm going to respond to. I know who I'm going to respond to when they call me for a gig or when they call me, uh, you know, for a studio session. I know who I'm going to say yes to. I know who I'm going to say no to. And if I'm going to say yes to a secular gig, mm -hmm. I have to tell them these are my... Parameters. My parameters. I'm only going to do this for you if you respect, you know, my parameters. My parameters. You respect my beliefs. Yeah. I'm going to go in there. I'm just going in there to do a bass track for you, and that's it. I'm not going to be in there to hear no conversations. I'm not going to be in there. If people are smoking, I'm not going to be in there. If people are drinking, I'm not going to be in there. Okay. Right. So I, I set that up for him. Yeah. Right. Because as a father, we like I was saying before, we want our kids to do better than us. Yeah. Right. So we want to give them the proper advice, especially as Christians. What environment do you want to step into as a, as a musician? Now, I understand that there are people that um, sometimes, depending on what your goal is, you're going to put yourself in a position where you're going to confront certain things, certain environments that as a Christian, you got to be spiritually mature and ready for, right? So you don't want, you want to go in there and contribute your talent, right? Mm -hmm. But you also want to contribute who you are as a believer, uh, right so okay. it's not to say that you're going to go in there and start preaching everybody and a lot of fire. musicians are not doing that nowadays and that's the problem they're not the, contributing who they are as a believer as a believer and that's 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 i think the core of what i was trying to say earlier that i don't want people to misunderstand me is not that you're not supposed to not have fun while you're playing because you could have fun and worship god right but the focus is just playing professionally and just having fun right instead of giving of who you are as a believer to the people that you're transmitting to, the people that are going to listen to you, right? And I, and that's easy to fall into, right? Like as a musician, it's easy to fall in. It's easy to fall into just a gig, right? And and not even just as a musician, even as just as a person in general, right? There are people that get that have friends, right? And you want to be part of that in crowd, yeah. But then if you want to be part of that, you have to start doing what they do, so you can feel a part of. And that's mm. where we have to draw the line, right? So okay. as a musician, it's easy to fall into that. 
it's easy fall into the into the uh, or I want to be a part of this environment, so I gotta start looking like them. And that's why you know, unfortunately, we have a lot of musicians nowadays. Again, I'm not you know uh, putting Naming any names, names out right. there because it's not about attacking people. Yeah. Because everybody has the right to make their own decision. Right. Right. But that's why we have a lot of people that come to church or musicians that are going to a church, and you'll see them on the stage dressed a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, this is a church, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you want to be able not that the clothes is going to make you holy mm-hmm. or not that your appearance makes you holy but why do you want to look like an artist that I but just what are you projecting be? Right. right because the thing is that we people don't know our hearts yeah right so they say oh you can't judge me by my clothes but I don't want to know your clothes I want to know your heart right but the way you're looking on the outside the bible says that what you feed your spirit is going to reflect on the outside right mm-hmm. in my own paraphrasing right garbage in then garbage is going to come out, yeah. right? But if you feed yourself with holiness, with wanting to please God, then that's going to show in your outward appearance, mm-hmm. right? So there's certain fashions and certain styles that I'm seeing a lot of these, uh, you know, gospel artists projecting on these concerts mm-hmm. that I'm like, that, but that doesn't look godly, right? And mm-hmm. it's not that the, the words that they're saying are completely godly, right. right? The message that they're portraying is completely godly, but yet the appearance that they're bringing looks like the world. And I think sometimes people confuse when Paul said, Right. When I go to the Jew or when I go to the Gentiles, I'm going to be like them Mm -hmm. so that I could win them over. Mm -hmm. But the problem is sometimes you want to be so much like the world that that ends up pulling you out. So we'll see these ministers and music ministers, right, that start to look like the world. And then little by little, we start hearing about the, you know, the, the, Mm. the controversies all and this happened in this ministry. And how did that happen? Because little by little, they started to give in. Yeah. It started with the appearance, yeah. but then it leaked into other things, right? And and right. that's where you want to keep yourself. So you, if you get called for studio gig, what kind of studio gig is it going to be? Mm-hmm. What kind of environment is going to be? And is it going to be conducive to your holy living, right? right. Is it going to be an environment where you're too weak? Because you know there could be people that are spiritually mature that can handle certain environments. Yeah, yeah. Right? I have I have musicians definitely. that are Christian musicians that grew up in church. That have played now for people like Alejandro Sanz. That I've played for people like, uh, uh, you know, um, I mean, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Prince, secular Lauren music, Hill, yeah. musicians that have played for secular musicians that have stood their ground. Yeah. Right. And they're still Christians. They're still believers. But not everybody can pull that off. Right. Very so few. You yeah. have to be spiritually mature to put yourself in an environment where you know it's not going to affect you. Right. Because also, you do want to, you know. Project yourself and your 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 spirituality, your Christianity on others, you know, um, for positive effect. But then there's another side where I also need to feed my family. Right. So Prince pays good, or you know he used to. Right. Right. Or La India pays good, or Mark Anthony pays good, or these people pay good, and what they pay me right now, I can pay off my whole car note. Yeah. I can pay off what I have left on on the mortgage. Right. Or I can you know get that vacation that my wife always wanted with the kids and we could get away and these people but if it's gonna cost you you know your testimony and your your salvation your sanctification whatever then it's not worth it but if you know that you're mature enough and you can step into that then you'd be like okay great you know i i can i can put up myself as a christian in here and just let them know like hey you know this is not gonna go down that's not gonna go down but Mm -hmm. you know you have great music i respect it because another thing is that you know, as we were speaking earlier, um, 
you can you you can hear people that are not from church. You can hear secular people and pick up something good from them, Absolutely. right? You you pick uh, you you hear classical music and things like that, right? I I I can study people like Abraham Lincoln, who was a great orator as a president, right? right. He gave the Gettysburg Address, right? I, I can study people that 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 are not Christian, that are not preachers, um, that can give great speeches in front of large you know, numbers of people. Mm-hmm. And I can say, oh, their delivery, their cadence is good. They're calm. They're within themselves. I can take from that. Right. And then I can use that, you know, coupled with whatever the Holy Spirit is going to give me, which is first and foremost. But there's also something that I have to do, right. which is study, you know, how, how to stay in control, how to run everything while while being the person that's on the stage by themselves. Right. You understand what I'm saying? It's funny because you, you say that, and the Bible gives us clear direction when it comes to, I believe it's uh, 2 Timothy 2.15. Mm-hmm. Is this 2 Timothy? Right? What does it say? It says, do your best to be the kind of person. Now, I'm reading from the easy-to-read version right now. To be okay. the, the best kind of person God will accept and give yourself to him. Be a worker who has no reason to be ashamed of his work, one who applies the true teaching of the right way. So this is telling us not to be lazy, basically. We yeah. have to apply ourselves, yeah. right? So when you, when it comes to speaking the word, right, and being a good orator, like you're saying, mm-hmm. th- it's not just about you knowing the message. It's about you applying yourself so that you can deliver that message right. with effectiveness, right? So that the people that are listening to you would be able to receive with clear, under, mm-hmm. you know, you know, with clear understanding, know what you're saying, right? And then at the same time, God uses that to minister sure. through that, right? So the same thing with musicians yes we want to hear the professionals we want to hear from the pros what is it that they do yeah How, what is it that they practice like this is one bass player his name is victor Wooten, mm-hmm. right this guy has won so many bass player uh, magazine awards it's ridiculous right mm-hmm. and even though he's into that eastern type of religion type of stuff mm. what he has to offer musically and professionally speaking like he's an awesome teacher second to none right second to none like He's probably rated one of the world's top bass players right now, mm-hmm. all right? And there's a lot of musicians, a lot of great bass players, but this guy's one of the top, right? And the way he explains what he does, right, with such ease, and he's not ashamed of showing you what he knows, right? And he's real easy and open to share his ideas, right? And how did he do it? By practicing, by sharpening his skill. Mm-hmm. He said that he's been playing bass since he was two years old, wow. all right? Since he was two, he says he's been playing bass. He comes from a family of musicians, right? And they said, he said that when he was growing up, his brothers had a band and they needed a bass player and they just put one in his hand. And that's how, that's how they got their bass player, you know? Oh, that's amazing. So, um, so, you know, so the word is telling us to apply ourselves, yeah. right? So we have to put in the work. Yeah. So God wants excellence. He's the man. The word is telling us that mm-hmm. we have to be a good worker, right? Mm-hmm. And that's in every aspect of our lives. And talking about music, For sure. we have to practice. We have to sharpen our skills. Yeah. Talking about preaching, we have to practice, you know, how do we speak? Yeah. You know, my, my tone of voice. Am when, I do you, when, when, when do you speak louder? When do you speak, speak louder? Speak softer, speak, right? yeah. And what does that do? That captivates the audience. When do you drag out a word? When do you hurry up a word? When do you throw in the punchline? When are you funny? When are you not funny? Right. When are you serious? You know, when, when, how do you introduce yourself? How long do you introduce yourself? You know, what do you say about your family? Things like that. Like, it's just so many variables that goes into music and goes into preaching because... They're the same thing. They're just projecting a message. Right. One is projecting it through a melody. The other one is projecting through a voice box. Right. But you're trying to make a melody as well. So I can understand when musicians speak certain uh, phrases um, 
in, in their professionalism, not the lingo, right, right. but the spirit of it. Right. Because I got to try to do the same thing. Right. You know, because I got to project the message. It's just going to come through my voice box. Right. Yours is going to come through your fingers or your feet or your or your throat. I mean, your 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 voice, your voice or whatever, you know, in a different way because you're blowing into something instead of speaking into something. Right. But it's kind of the same dynamic. And it's all somehow God sets that up that we could all understand each other and we could all help each other. Like, like right now, like I'm learning as I'm, as I'm sitting here and you're telling me about your son and, and I'm learning because you're, you're not only saying how, you know, there's certain people that, that, that you listen to, you know, in the church, but out of the church. And I can say to myself, I can do that too. And I've done it, but I can continue to do it and just have a healthy balance. Right. Because I think that that's when we lose ourselves as Christians is saying, okay, I'm only going to listen to Tony Robbins and I'm only going to listen to, you know, uh, other great orators that are not biblically based. And then all of a sudden I fall out of practice of speaking to church people. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to listen to Dan Bongino, or Candace Owens or right. Charlie Kirk, you know, and stuff like that. Great. You know, some of them are good orators. Some of them are great. Um, but we got to find that. I, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to do Second Timothy 215 or First Timothy 215. And then I'm also going to do, um, you know, my prayer, my fasting, everything that I need to do. Talk with Christian preachers, talk with other Christian artists and be like, hey, you know, what do you do in your closet? What, what do you do in your prayer time? Like, what are some of the things that helped you out right. and things like that? So I know that your son gets an example from you at home because. You know, you're one of the men that I know that takes being a pastor at home most seriously. Yeah. You know, but but you also have your pastor at your home, but you're also the lead musician at your home. So you got to show that example in both roles as a man and as a musician at the same time. Right. You know, so you're showing you're showing your son. This is how you pastor a home. This is how you're the lead musician in your home. And this is how you live a holy life, a life separated for God. And I know that it's help, definitely helping him out. You know, and for me, I'm here in my house and I'm showing my children, my boys, how to be the pastor of their home and my daughter, what that looks like right. for when she has a husband. Um, but for me, it's a little different because Caleb, he's not going to end up being a preacher, most likely. So I can't sit down with him and kind of be like, hey, listen, when you preach, you know, don't make this mistake. Don't make that mistake. That That's that's mostly um, more probably CJ. But um, it, I, it's hard because I can't connect with him on that level where I could talk that music lingo. Right. Right. But I could say like on, 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 on here and, and even I told you this in church and I've texted you this. Thank you for taking my son under your wing because I know that young musicians, they just want to put the pedal to the metal and, and, run. and run. They want to run where they can't even crawl when, yet. Exactly. Yeah. And you kind of sometimes have to be like, hey, slow down, man. You know, relax. So to, to a young musician that's listening right now, what would you say to that young musician in the church that is just starting out? Like, what is your best advice? And what did you what did you tell your son when he wanted to put the pedal to the metal, if he ever did? So um, um, speaking about, you know, when you want to hit the ground running. Right. Like right, the road runner, sometimes yeah. it's a wake up call. Because, for example, with your son, Caleb, mm -hmm. right? I remember one time for a kid's service, he had taken, oh, during the specials, right? Mm -hmm. he, had, he had participated during the specials, and he took a drum solo. Yeah. And I was out outside of the sanctuary, but 
I was by the door. I think I was coming out the bathroom or something, and I was walking in, and I looked, and I'm like, "Who's that playing the drums?" That was that when he played Carol of the Bells. No, this was before that. This was oh. the first time he ever took a drum solo. He okay. was just playing like a random thing, right? And I'm like, when I stuck my head in, I was like, "Whoa, that's Caleb playing the drums," and when he was playing alone, right? He was doing his thing. So the thing is that a lot of kids, when they're learning, right, and that's the problem with the internet. The internet and YouTube, right, when it comes to musicians, it's like, oh, you see all these things that people are doing, all these little kids that are killing it, right? But these kids don't understand that with killing it comes experience, yeah. right? So when I heard him play the drums and everybody was on their feet, like, yeah, yeah. whoa, like Caleb blew everybody out the water. Like yeah. everybody was shocked to see him play. But then, so that was a lesson for him because then when he started to play during the services, and he started to play together with the band. Mm. Then he's like, wait a minute. This is a whole other monster. And like, I don't know because what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing now. Because playing by yourself and playing with a group is two totally different things. Mm -hmm. Like, I could sit down on my bass at home and start slapping the heck out of it and making all these crazy things or whatever. But when I'm sitting with the band in church and we're playing during the service, I can't do that. Yeah, you can't right? chop it up. I can't chop it up. I got to <laughs> sit. I got to, I gotta. what's called, sit in the pocket now. I yeah. got to sit in the groove. And I got to play along with everybody else. So when Caleb got on the drums and he was, it was time for him to play with us as yeah. a, in the band. And he was like, what is going on? Yeah, right. Yeah. So that was a wake up call for him because, and that's the thing. We want to encourage our kids. Yeah, definitely. We want them to know, yes, definitely. you're on the right path. But then at the same time, sometimes we can get uh, a little prideful and say, yes, look at me. I killed it on the drums. Or I killed. And then when it's time to do the real thing, mm. it's like, yo, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Right. Like I need to, I need to come take a step back and be like, okay, wait, where's the bigger picture here? Where do I fall in place now? And that was a good thing for him, for him to be exposed, to be like, okay, this kid is going to be a nasty drum in the future. Mm -hmm. But now he's got to take a step back and be like, wait a minute, I got to take it back a few notches mm -hmm. because now I'm playing with the band. I'm not playing by myself. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's, that's, that's one advice that I would give to kids that are learning now. You know, you might be really good in your house and those videos you're uploading are awesome, right? But now you, got, you don't have experience yet. Mm -hmm. You've got to now get experience in playing with people that have been playing longer than you. Not necessarily because they're better than you, but because they have more experience than you do. Right. And they know, okay, what things are supposed to sound like. Like, I'm not a trumpet player, but I know what the horn section is supposed to sound like. Mm -hmm. I'm not a keyboard player. Even though I did play keys for a little bit, right? I'm not a keyboard player. But I know what the keyboard player is supposed to sound like. Mm -hmm. I know what he's supposed to be doing. I'm not a vibe player like a DJ, but I know what his instrument is supposed to be filling in, you know, when he's supposed to be playing, when he's not supposed to be playing. I know what a guitar is supposed to sound like. So being that I'm not a drummer, right, even though I can play a little bit, mm -hmm. I can look at somebody and say, okay, that person is a good drummer mm -hmm. because he's not making it about him. Right? So that's your responsibility as a musician. As a musician, it's not about how well you sound, but how well you make everybody sound. No, no, what I'm saying, one of the responsibilities as a musician is knowing what everybody's supposed to sound like. Well, that's something that your ear picks up on after you know, years of okay. experience, okay. right? Knowing what each instrument should sound like, okay. what instruments should feel like. So me being a bass player... Every musician should know that. Every musician has to know, okay, okay. this is what this is supposed to sound like. Okay. Even if right. you don't know how to play that instrument, you should know, oh, that's a good bass player, or oh, that's a good guitar player, okay. right? So me being a bass player, uh, bass, bass and percussion is supposed to be hand in hand because that's like the foundation of the music. So if I'm playing with a drummer who is not locking in with me, 
right? And who's not listening to me and he's doing his own thing and he's not really playing with everybody else, you can get that, you feel it, right? It's something that you feel in the music. Right. So my advice is to, to younger musicians that are learning how to play is practice what you're practicing, right? Practice at home, practice mm -hmm. on your chops, mm -hmm. but also practice what, you know, playing with, with other musicians. Mm. Practice playing with the band because that's when you really know what you're supposed to be doing and not supposed to be. So even if you can't play you know, a uh, 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 67, you know, triplet, whatever, whatever time <laughs> signature, right. even if you can't do that crazy chop, can you play a slow song and make even the worship team sound good? Hmm. Right? There's, there's a certain brother in our church who, you know, uh, is not really a singer, but when the band listens to the song that he's singing and we know what right. he's playing, we can make this guy sound like sound he's, uh, you know, singing a concert, right? Yeah. But when we don't know the song, and everybody's lost, everything kind of crumbles, right? right? So that's the, the thing of, is about knowing when to play, what to play it, right? And not just about putting all your chops out there. Okay. So it's like a wake-up call for the kids like Caleb and my son that, yeah, they're learning their instrument and they're good at what they do, but now when it's time to play with the band, they have to know how to blend in, right? And that's the wake-up call. So it's about knowing what to do, when to do it, when to play it, right? So, so that's the advice that I would give. Quick yeah. advice. Uh, give me some quick advice for the parents of musicians that even if the parent is a musician or not, I don't know how much different it is, right? As a musician father or as a non-musician father or mother, non-musician or musician, right? I went out and, you know, I'm very selective on what I buy my children that is expensive because if they stop using it, I'm going to be upset because it's, it's a lot of money lost. Now, yeah. I buy them something that's five bucks, ten bucks. They don't, you know, I'll be like, man, like, you know, you got to learn the, the, the lesson in this a little bit, but I'll let it go, you know, like right. after a couple minutes or whatever. But now if I'm going to spend, like I did, 600, upwards of 600 bucks on his electronic um, drum set, which I bought a guitar center during COVID, because uh, I just, I felt something and saw something in him that he really wanted to do and he was going to stick with it. After, I don't know, maybe his mom convinced me or God convinced me. I don't know which one of the two. I don't remember. <laughs> convinced me. But something inside of me got convinced where, okay, he's going to stick with it. Yeah. And I made the investment. And he stuck to it. And now, you know, he's gone on the Your Wing and, you know, a little bit less under our musical director's wing, Jason, because, you know, he sees you more. Um, and and Gijo, our drum player, Joshua, uh, he's under his wing uh, a little bit. But... He he stuck to it, and I'm very glad at that. And my investment has paid off, and it's paid for itself, and it's going to continue to pay for itself. Right. And I am ecstatic at that. So, what? How much should we, as either musicians or non-musicians, as parents, back up our children? Like, what would be your advice to parents of musical children, whether they are musicians themselves or yeah, not? Yeah. Well, my advice is you know, you don't know who you're raising. Okay. Right? We don't know what, what a specific, any, any child may have for their future. Right? So we want to be able to give them every opportunity possible mm -hmm. that would help them to explore what is the giftedness that God has given me that I can use either professionally for my career mm -hmm. or that I can use to be a, 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 to be a blessing in the house of God. Mm -hmm. Whether it be music, whether it be athletics. Right? We don't know what, our kids, what God has placed in our kids. Right. Some of us do know because maybe God has spoken to us prophetically, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe we've had dreams about our children being aspiring in whatever field, right? Mm -hmm. um, so my, my advice to a parent who has 
a, a, a musician or a child who's a musician or seems to be leaning in that direction yeah. is because I understand the, the, the cost of equipment, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, my, my base, which was custom made that I, I actually designed it and I had somebody built it. You had to drive five hours to go get it. I had to drive five, six hours to pick <laughs> it up, right? So, yeah. it, you know, it's costly, right? But that's because I was already a musician. I've yeah, already yeah. been playing, you know, 30 plus years, right? You know you're going to keep playing. Yeah. Right. So to a, a parent who's raising a kid is, like you said, you know, make the, make the investment and All right, Gab, let me run a quick timeout to let everybody know that they can follow you on Parlor, on Instagram, and on Facebook at Gab's Groove. I also remind you, you can follow me on Parlor, on Twitter, on Instagram at CGBenz, and you can find me on Facebook at Chris Beniquez. All right, so you were saying that make sure that. Make sure that the investment. It's something that you know is going to take off, especially if you're going to put a lot of money into it. Now, if it's going to be like, uh, like you know, because some kids get this itch like, oh, I want to take, you know, violin lessons. Mm-hmm. Because there's a, 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 a little music school in the neighborhood that there's a violin teacher. You know, there are parents that want to put kids into extracurricular activities just for the sake of the activity. Okay. Just to have the kid involved in something, but it's not really something the kid wants to do. See what the in, what the interest of the kid is, right? If your child insists, no, I want to do this. I want to. I want to play drums, Dad. I want to play drums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, watch. You see, you're gonna buy the drums. You see, you're gonna see that I'm gonna start yeah. playing. Then you see that your investment is worth it, right? But again, we want to give our kids every opportunity to be able to l- know what direction life is gonna take them in, what direction God is gonna take them in, right? And to know what gifted what giftedness they have that can be be used potentially for their for their well-being mm-hmm. financially, right? For their future, but also as a, as a contribution to the church and to the house of God. That's what's up. Um, so a couple quick questions here before I, I get on, I move on, right? Does your son walk around the house with like a pencil in his mouth, like doing the exercises? What kind of exercises do trumpeteers do? Um, so he has a couple of exercises that his music teacher uh, taught him. Um, I, one of them is called the Caruso, um, and it's it's basically like a armature type of exercise mm. and a breathing type of exercise. You know how he places the mouthpiece, mm-hmm. uh, his mouth, his lips on the mouthpiece. Okay. I've never seen him walking around with a pencil, even though I have heard that that strengthens the jaw yeah. and it's supposed to help the armature. I've never seen him do that. Okay. Um, but being a teenager that he is, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know he's always. Uh, you know, a little bit too distracted with the video games and stuff like that. So I always try to remind him, listen, did you take time to practice this week? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's something that I have to do as well. I have to, he has to see me take out my bass yeah. and sit in a corner for him then to later on pull out his trumpet and practice, you know, his chops. Right. So it's, it's not something that we, I have to tell him or that uh, I should push him to, but it should be something that he sees me do yeah. so that he can also continue in that same, in that same area, you know, you know, on his instrument. So yeah, I do see him practicing from, from time to time, but he's, it's something that he's got to do more often. I tell him, do it now that you're not married, that you mm-hmm. don't have kids. Cause once you get married and you have kids, you get less practice time, you know, you do. Yeah. But yeah, he does practice. He does do, do his thing at home. And um, you gotta, you gotta go to work. You gotta pay bills. Yeah. You gotta yeah. make sure your house is clean. You got to make sure that your kids are fed, clothed. You got to make sure you have enough time to drive to church. You got to come back, get some sleep, wake up for work early in the morning. So life gets really, really fast. And then it's like, ah, man, I forgot to practice today. And then sometimes when you do have the time, you're just tired. 
you know, you because you're so anything. worn down, especially when you live in New York and you pay high taxes. You know, thank, <laughs> thank you to Governor Cuomo and uh, Bill de Blasio for that. Right. Uh, you know, you pay all these high taxes, so you got to keep working and working and, you know, try to make ends meet and things like that. So New York life gets a little hectic for those of you who don't live in L.A. or Chicago you know, in New York that don't have high taxes, you know, right. wherever you are, I'm looking to move where you are. Yeah, especially if it's like Florida or Texas. Well, not not really Texas, but Florida. Um, but yeah, so let me ask you another question. Are you, uh, are you, uh, are you coming up on your pension plan? Like anytime soon? Are you, are you going to be the continued, like, uh, I know you're looking to like help other people to play, right? I mean, whatever musicians come in that need help, I always try to do my best to point yeah. them in the right direction. You know, we, we had a singer at our church um, that was up and coming, pointed that singer in the right direction. That singer took off. Right. Right. Because I, I, I'm not trying to say like you're I'm not trying to say like you're leaving and you're going to stop playing bass. But no way. like like I know I know that, you know, you always are looking to help people and always. be like, hey, man, I, I'm not the only guy here that can do this or that. You know, like, I, I like to share, you know? Definitely. Not... I mean, that, and that's the good thing about these kids that are coming in, right? And they want to learn. They're hungry, yeah. right, to learn something. Um, I'm, I've been at the church already, what, like I said, 18 and a half years. I've been the bass player there. Yeah. I don't plan on not being the bass player there. <laughs> uh, I don't, right. right, at the moment, there's really no one else that uh, has the desire to be the bass player, yeah. even though Jason... When he plays bass, he kills it. Can, Pastor yeah, Edward can play, play bass. the bass. Yeah. You know, but, you know, everybody has their own niche, right? They, cool. they have their spot where they like and they're comfortable in, right? So with me, I mean, I, I'm the bass player. I'm comfortable there. So I can look forward to um, seeing you for like another 20 years, right? God willing, if God allows me the health and <laughs> life, yeah, I'll be there for as long as I have to Cause be. Because I'm pretty comfortable sitting in my chair looking at you being the bass player. Like, I don't know anything else other than <laughs> Christian Tab. I'm well, like, he, you know. Here's my, here's my thing. Going back to, um, you know being uh consistent right mm -hmm. um i don't only see myself as just a bass player there right mm -hmm. and I, like we said before i'm the children's yeah, ministry director definitely. with daisy but being there consistently i i like to be like to set an example especially for the younger guys that are mm -hmm. up and coming for them to see somebody who's always there consistently even yeah. if i'm not the best bass player but just to see wow this this person is always here this person, you know, and that's another thing. Punctuality is key, you know, mm -hmm. um, when, whenever we're going to minister. Because we don't know who's going to be at a particular time that's going to need your encouragement. Oh. Or you don't know who is coming to the church that is watching you. That is, e even if you don't say a word to them. Mm -hmm. But you don't know who you're encouraging. When they see you, when they see you be consistent, right? When they see that you're always there at a specific time and you're handling, you're doing what you got to do. That in itself is Helps a blessing, a lot, yeah. right? That in itself is an encouragement to the people of God, right? So, even if I'm not the greatest bass player that I ever lived, right? That, Are you that's showing not, consistency? But my thing is, can I? what can I show these younger kids, right, when they see me? Wow, Gabby's always here. He's always on time, right? And again, it's, it's just to, to give that example so that when their time comes to take over, they know what it is, right? Yeah. They know what is okay. I saw this for many years. This is what I want to do. This is, and I saw that from my dad. Yeah, yeah, I know. I saw that. I, I knew that. My dad. I remember when it was time for outing. Mm -hmm. Right. My dad was always ready on time. Early. He was, I mean, at the time we didn't have a car, so he would get picked up. But whenever it was time for my dad to get picked up, he was always ready. Right. Right. He was always there. My father. I used to remember he used to practice in the dark. 
he would lock himself into a room, turn off the lights, and he would be practicing what? there just to just to get a feel for his instrument, wow. right? Knowing where all the notes are, knowing where all the posi- positioning is, right? Wow. He would literally practice in the dark. And I, that's a habit that I picked up. There would be times where it would be 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, Daisy sleeping, and my kids were still, you know, little. Yeah. And I'd be sitting at the edge of my bed in the dark with my bass in my hand. Nice. Playing in the dark, right? So nice. I, I want to You can't do that with the trumpet. No. <laughs> well, yeah, you can. You can? You can because... You could- yeah, because the trumpet, you're not really looking at your position. You're feeling the... And, and there's only three valves. So you don't have to blow into it and make noise to practice? Well, no, right. I, I get what you mean. I mean. You mean making noise at 2 o'clock yeah, in the morning. that's oh, okay. what I'm saying. No, Because I know with the bass, you don't have to plug it in. You could just... I mean, you, yeah, just... you can plug in headphones and just hear yourself through right. headphones. Yeah, so I, as far as noise is concerned, yeah, you can't do that at 2 o'clock in the morning so, with a trumpet. would you be more proud of your son or angry at your son <laughs> if you're practicing at 2 a.m.? Listen, I got to sleep. I got I to sleep too, so put that trumpet away. Oh, God. But, um, no, but yeah, I, you know, I always just want to be, whether I'm there for the yeah. next 20 years or not, yeah. if I am, if God allows me I hope the, so. the health and the strength to yeah. be there for the next 20 years, it's not about being the best bass player. It's about showing consistency yeah, to no, the kids no, that no, are coming no, up no, 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 and being able to teach them whatever I know, right? And let yeah. them take that to the next level. Yeah, no, right? no, like, yeah, like, you know, for those who are listening, like, no way that I'm trying to infer that, you know, Gabby's going anywhere or sitting, stepping down. I'm just trying to say, like, I know that there's a future. And if you're listening and you're part of our church or not, and you, you know, like to play the bass, he's always willing to help out. You know, he's, he's not a stingy guy who's going to be like, no, I just, I know everything and I'm going to sit here yeah. for the rest of time. He's not like that at all. And I don't think any of the musicians in our church are like that because, you know, there's thoughts of some people like, man, I want to open up a music school. I want to help others. So yeah. so we have that thing in our church where people are like, I want to help out. I mean, for a couple of years, I was running a, a, a workshop that I called The Groove the Room, Groove right? Room, right. And I started that back in 20, I think I had it from 2013 mm-hmm. all the way up to 2017. Right? Mm-hmm. I think we did five years straight right, of The Groove Room. Mm-hmm. And my focus for that was to help young kids, to yeah. help other musicians, right? Yep. Yep. And a lot of times, like I remember in 2007... I went to a bass event in Manhattan called Bass Player Live. And it's normally held in, in LA, Okay. right? But this that year, for some reason, they had done it in the city. And I was like, yo, I wanna go because I wanna meet all these you know, professional musicians. Yeah. And I went, and I think that the ticket, the entry you know, to get in was like 35 or 40 bucks per ticket. Wow. And I'm like, man, we, I, could, I would love to bring something like this to the church, right? Because a lot of musicians, instead of having to travel all the way to Manhattan, mm-hmm. if, you know, or and spending, you know, all these amounts of money on tickets, and then you got to go parking, outside and get food, food and all this stuff, right. parking and so on. Manhattan gets like, expensive real I'm quick. like, I could bring this to the church, right? And yeah. so I had a friend of mine, uh, Josh Losada, who's also an amazing bass player, right? Um, he helped me out with the first one and the second one, and, and it took off, you know, for a couple of years, but then it started to kind of die down. So, you know, uh, it's maybe something that maybe I'm looking at uh, starting it up again in the, in the near future. Cool. Maybe if it's just something small within our church cool. so that our musicians could, you know, be encouraged and, and learn a little bit more. Um, but it's something that, you know, it, we should all be looking to contribute to the next generation. So definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. Always, always looking forward to helping other people out, you know, just whatever I know. And then you take that to the next level. You know, I, I, I think that with the advent of social media, that. That has been pushed a lot, helping the next generation. Like you said earlier, there's a lot of videos on YouTube and, you know, a lot of musicians, you know, when you don't get that healthy balance, when you don't get that understanding, you just see the glory, but you don't understand the story. Right. And you're like, oh, you know, just the chops, 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 but you don't understand how they got there. But when you understand the healthy balance, you're like, okay, 
you got to know how this came about. Right. And then you're better for it. Right. You know, so so the advent of social media has been a lot of positive things. And I know there's been some there's been a lot of negative things, but we always try to pull the positive out of it and right. things like that. So um, all these people that are getting shine is great. You know, I, I love it because we're seeing so many different styles. We're seeing so many different cuts and new new kind of chops. And, and this, I mean, there's a lot just, of talented kids out there. Yes. But like I said before, even though they're excellent, right? Yeah. They're, they're great at their chops. They just got to gain experience. For know? sure. For sure. Um, many after he started playing the trumpet, did he ever pick up the bass again? He didn't pick up the bass, but um, actually, I, I had gotten him a bass. I ended up selling it to a friend of mine. Okay. Um, he never picked up the bass, but I think he's gonna end up playing keyboards as well because he's got a he's got this uh, this piano that Nintendo uh, had had uh, the Nintendo gaming yeah, company. They yeah. had made a keyboard called the I think it's called the Miracle Keyboard. I had no idea. And uh, my brother-in-law uh, Ralph had given it to him, so he sits down at home with the piano. Nice. And I'll, I'll see him like figuring chords out. And listening to stuff, so I know that he's also going to pick up the piano definitely at some point. He's going to be like Arturo Sandoval, who's a, so, an amazing trumpet player, but he's an amazing pianist too. So he's going to be like uh, the next Frankie Guadalupe. Hey, who knows? <laughs> he could be. He could be. I mean, I, I know his brother listens, Cole Red, Man, I don't. I, I just don't know what Frankie can't play. Like <laughs> you can name more instruments he can't play than what he can play. <laughs> he once played a, a piano in. Uh, Times Square He has a video oh, yeah, On Facebook That has like Millions of hits He was yeah. just sitting there Just playing And people were just Amazed by him Yeah Frankie Frank, I know that, Frankie Since I was a little kid that dude, Super talented He guy. is something else Like somebody Like he's on another level I think Sometimes I think He's an alien Or something Like dude It's, it's just crazy man <laughs> I, I can name more instruments He can't play But um One of the last things I want to talk about You know um, Having some fun here um, I know that um, before, before I get into whatever I was going to get into, what last words do you have about uh, the whole music culture, whatever it is you want to talk about? Just take a couple minutes. If you want to pray, I don't know, whatever it is, whatever's on your heart right now. Just give me the last things on your heart before I move on about the topic we've been talking about or anything else that relates to music. Well, I think um, for musicians, just to have that focus of what you do and why you do it, right? Um, what's the purpose of us doing what we do? Right, having the ability that God has given us to play an instrument. Because like you said before, out of the billions of people that are on the earth, only a handful, you could say, are musicians, right? So that special gift that we have, what are you gonna do with it, right? Are you just gonna let it go to waste, right? Are you gonna be like that person that says, I'm not good enough, I'm just gonna bury my talent? Or are you gonna be the person that says, wow, God gave me this, let me multiply it. Right? Let me let me give it back to him in, in worship and in praise. Right, And I have two verses here. Mm-hmm. Psalms 95, 1, it says, Come on, everyone. Let's sing for joy to the Lord. Let's shout our, lar- la- our loudest praises to our God who saves us. Right, So it's about giving God the praise, right? That shout with joy, right? For the God that has done things for us, that has blessed us, that has kept us, protected us. Right? Um, let's give that back to God. And then Ephesians 5, 19, right? The reason why we gather. Mm. Right, Hebrews ten twenty five tells us not to forsake the gathering together. Right, so Ephesians five nineteen tells us why we come together. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Right, mm-hmm. so we know that songs encourage us. Right, we know that we all these psalms and hymns that we sing in church are to give praises to God, but also to encourage each other. Right, and we use this gift of music to lift our spirits up. 
right? To bring healing in the midst of our situations, right? We have a, a brother right now who has to travel to Florida because his dad is going through, a, you know, a situation yep. health-wise, right? So we, we pray that, you know, that on his way there, that he's listening to music, he's listening to the word, he's being encouraged, right? Because music does that, right? Music brings healing. Music brings hope, right? Um, so that's, you know, the last thing that I want to say to the musicians is, why do you do what you do, right? And are you living your life that glorifies God? So that this, this way when you play, the music that comes out of your instrument ministers to people. And it really does the job. It really provokes the presence of God to be a blessing to you and to those that are listening. Right. And, and it's funny because every time before the services start and I pray before the service uh, begins, my, my, one of the things that I say is, God, let everything that we do tonight, you know, the music, let every testimony be a praise unto you. Right? Let it all be edifying and let it be done in decency and in order. That's, that's usually when, when I pray, when you see me kneeling down before the service, mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I'm saying before I get up and before I grab my instrument and play. So that's my advice uh, and last couple of words to musicians out there when it comes to music. Amen, amen. Well, one of the most powerful things, um, just to put a bow on it, right? The whole music uh, thing we've been talking about here, just to put a bow on it. For the people, for you who are listening right now, Use music to give God thanks. Like whenever something great happens in your life. Before we, we came on, you were telling me how uh, Moses and the people of Israel, after they went over the Red Sea, right? When God closed it back up mm -hmm. and they drowned, you know, um, Pharaoh and his people, right? They sang a song afterward, right after that. Right after So that. music... They used music just to give God thanks and give God praise when they overcame something. So, you know, if you're listening right now and after you hear this podcast, you know, something great happened in your life or you got a promotion or you overcame something or, you know, the divorce didn't happen or you have a child or you got some really great news, you know, use your voice, use your heart, you know, to just give God thanks in some kind of song and some some kind of melody even if you make it up yourself and it might sound only good to you but it'll sound good to you and god you know so use the music that god will put in your heart to just praise him and thank him you know whether it's one line or two lines or a whole song or whatever it is not all of us can write music but there's sometimes when i'll be in my car riding to work and i'll just make up stuff and you know it'll sound terrible but it sounds good to me and it'll sound good to God. And it'll just be something that there's a praise out of my heart, you know. So I, I think back on I think back on that instance and I think back on how music was just a way to to give God thanks and vent like, yes, we made it. We came through. You looked out for us. You, you closed the Red Sea after we went through it dry. And now we have this victory. We have all these plunders and all these goods. And now I could just show my appreciation to you through just giving you praise and worship and thanks. And I think that there are so many instances in the Bible that shows us why music is such a good thing. Why it's so awesome. Why it's so glorious. Why is it that it's so easy to understand for everybody as a language? So, you know, I, I really love talking music with you in and out of the church, you know, secular music and, you know, great musicians, because we all can understand the language of music you know but not all of us can understand the language of fists mm. and this is one thing i know that you understand some way <laughs> today's july 3rd while we're recording this right and uh conor mcgregor's coming back 
and he's gonna fight Dustin Poirier. That's that's how you say his name. Yeah, Poirier for, third for the time. third time. Yeah. So he he knocked him out the first time, correct? Yeah, I think they fought at one fifty. And then he got sub- and then McGregor got submitted the second time. No, I think the ref stopped the fight. He stopped the fight. Down. <laughs> okay, oh, he got knocked out. Sorry, yeah, that's down. right, that's the ref right. Stopped the fight. I think. Okay, the reason why I thought about submission is because I've been hearing a lot of people saying that they think that Poirier is going to submit Conor McGregor, and Conor's been submitted a couple times in his career. You think there's a chance of him being submitted tonight? As we record this, this will be out probably a little couple days later, but. Gabby's going to talk about what he thinks about this fight before it happens, so it's going to be on tape, what you think. I'm not, well, I'm, not a, I'm not a sports or UFC buff, Yeah, but I, I was watching, I was following UFC for a little bit. But I know that you follow um, right. And, I mean, it, it's funny because anything could happen when yeah. it comes to these fighters. And sometimes you think, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to pay for this great event, and, the, and then the fight is over in, in the first round. You Mike know? Tyson within, fights, within, yeah. Like the Tyson fights, within 30 <laughs> seconds when he fought, uh, was it McNeely or something like that? Uh, knocked him out like Spinks in. also, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, anything seconds. could happen. Um, Poirier has developed his game over the years, right? And, and now he's at a totally different weight class, and he actually beat McGregor in the second fight, mm-hmm. right? At a different weight class. So, he's a whole different monster now, so... Mm. McGregor has lost twice to you know by submission. Right. Uh, the first time was by Nate Diaz. Okay. And the second time was uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, Khabib. I think that's yeah. Namar yeah. Namar Gomedov. Who retired undefeated? Right? Who retired undefeated? Yeah. Right. So I mean anything can happen. Um, I am not really a McGregor fan because I I'm not really a fan of the fighters that like to talk a lot of smack. Mm-hmm. I like the guys that are more quiet. And more laid back, but yet can put on a fight, you know. Um, I guess it's all for the entertainment purposes. They do it, you know. It, it, it He's made brings, a boatload of money doing attraction. it. Yeah. yeah, you make a lot of money. He's made it. a it, makes, of money. it brings attraction to the fight, you know. Yeah. He's the richest UFC fighter ever. Yeah, yeah. And I think he has his own beer or wine company uh, or liquor company or something. His own, yeah, Irish 12. Yeah, he sold that, right? He sold his shares. Okay. And he made a boatload of money. I, I know that because Brandon, um, you know, one of our one of our brothers in the church who was related to you yeah. told me that he's I mean, a real UFC buff. Yeah, I know. I know he's a real UFC buff. <laughs> yeah, but he told me he sold that that part of Irish whiskey. He made a boatload of money of it, so he's made a lot of money doing that talking stuff you don't like. Yeah, yeah You know, yeah, because yeah. a lot of people tune in to see him get knocked out or submitted. Right. So they they pay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one guy that could get away with that was Muhammad Ali. You know, right. In the day he. Talk all the smack that he wants because he really put he brought his A game every, every time. You know, even if he lost the fight, he was still on his A game. Yeah, you know, but, on the um, mic. But yeah, but Conor Conor McGregor. I mean, he's 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 a good fighter. Obviously, he's got a great record. Um, but I don't know if I don't know if um, if uh, Poirier is going to seal the deal tonight. You think? You think Conor has a chance of winning? <clears throat> like I said, anything could happen. Um, you know, say when you analyze the fight and analyzing, you know, I mean, you think about it. Who Connor has been the last couple of years? Who Poirier is now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think McGregor's gonna win this third time. I yeah. think Poirier's gonna seal the deal. Do you um you subscribe to the notion that a lot of people subscribe to? Like he could get submitted. Like seeing how good Poirier is now, he's really good. I mean, it, he won by knockout the first time. I think he could win by uh, submission. Yeah, you yeah, think you, you think he could beat him Poirier, a different way yeah, now? Yeah, and and uh, unless McGregor has been working a lot on his wrestling game and on his grappling game, yeah. He's not, that's not that's never been his strength. Yeah, you know, he, I mean, okay. the times that he lost to submission, he couldn't get out. So mm. and he was still pretty fresh. 
right? So um, he just doesn't have a good ground game. He doesn't have a he's good a great striker, game. though. Yeah, that's that's that, yeah. He's when a great it comes striker. to striking, that's his thing, especially with his left. But um, so he can. So if they were to stand up on a standing game, he could beat Poirier right now. Well, no, they Poirier need him standing up because he. Because he knocked, knocked him out. out. So you don't... Yeah, so it doesn't... It's just Poirier is a whole other monster now from yeah. when they fought from the when they first, first time. Fought. Okay. Yeah, when they fought the first time, it was a totally different, you know, weight class. Okay. And Poirier has really sharpened his skills throughout the years. So okay. I'm going to say Poirier. Yeah. Well, were you... Were you... Um, were, you uh, were you a Rousey fan when she was on top of the world? Did you like watching her? You know what's funny? Was she bang for your buck? I, well, like I said, I'm not really a, a sports or UFC buff. I really... Didn't know who Ronda Rousey was until okay. she came out in the movie uh, Expendables. Oh, Expendables 3. Okay, Expendables yeah, 3. Yeah, sounds, I have that movie. It yeah. sounds funny. And then I was yeah. like, who's this woman? Okay. Right? Because I saw her fighting. I, I'm like, is she really an athlete or is she, you know, really a martial arts? And okay. then when I looked her up, then I was like, oh, snap, she's got a record. A so then record. you just got into UFC a couple years ago. Yeah, I just got into UFC. Yeah. Okay. When, like, especially when she lost to Holly. Yeah. That's when I started looking up stuff on YouTube and like, yo, this UFC thing is real. I mean, I had known about UFC, mind mm-hmm. you, because when UFC first came out, UFC 1, I saw that one. And that was when it was like no rules, basically. Mm-hmm. Like The only rules that were there was, I think, no biting and no gouging of the eyes. Mm-hmm. But everything else was accepted. Like you could hit in the back of the head. Go down low. Y- yeah, you could do anything, basically. Yeah. Um, and I did see UFC 1 when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but then after that, it, you know, it kind of died out because you know, all these rules and regulations that they wanted to implement, it started wow. to die out. And it didn't become popular again until uh, Rockhold, Lou Rockhold fought, um, I forget the other guy's name. And that's when it started to get popular again because that fight was amazing from beginning to end. Okay. And, um, and so then, um, yeah, it wasn't until maybe like a few years ago that I started watching it again on YouTube. And so it's your all-time favorite UFC fighter or MMA. It doesn't even have to be UFC because UFC is a promotion. People don't understand yeah, that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mixed martial arts. This, this, uh, and what's funny is that they've all dabbed, in, I think, in all of the organizations. Because you know, I've yeah. seen fighters from UFC that now end up in Bellator, in Pride. Bellator, right. Yeah. So um, one yeah. of my favorite fighters ever since I started watching it, who was well-rounded was Tony Ferguson. Okay. I'm going to say he was probably my favorite until a, a couple of fights ago when he started to, like, I guess, age caught up to him. Ah. And he, he hasn't won a fight since. Um, but I think he was one of my favorite well-rounded fighters because, I mean, he could strike and he could grapple. Like, he could just win a fight out of the blue, like, just take you down and submit you, like, in, in a blink of an eye. Mm. But then he could strike as well. Like, he has all these sneaky, like, elbows and stuff like that, so... He was my one of my favorite well-rounded fighters until, I mean, I, not that I've fallen off of his bandwagon. Mm-hmm. I still think he can come back. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I'm but he's saying, not the top of his game no more. Yeah, he's not yeah. like right now. The guy that beat him is Charles. Uh, Charles, I forget his last name right now. Uh, he's Brazilian, and he beat uh, Ferguson, Ferguson a few right. fights ago, and I, it was I think it was by submission, and um. So who's, who's your favorite fighter after Ferguson? Like who's after who's a guy that's like. This guy could get my money. I like... Or this uh, girl could get my money. I, who's the champ? Who's the lightweight champ right now? Um, Usman. Ah. I Usman. love yeah, Usman. Yeah. Usman is another well-rounded fight. He could strike and he can get you, you know, in the, on the ground. Yeah. I think he's probably my favorite right now, especially in his, in his weight division. But he's also a well-rounded fighter. I think he could fight anybody and beat him at any weight class, mm. I think. Because he's just that good, you know. He's strong, you know. He's got a really good, well-rounded game. So I think Usman is... Well, one of my favorite fighters was um, Joanna. Um, 
you know, oh, Young Jason. Yeah, yeah, it's super hard to say her name. Yeah. So you kind of think like you're sneezing when you say her name. <laughs> Some people say like God bless you when you say her name. Right? But like she was one COVID. of yeah. <laughs> she was one of my favorite fighters, and obviously she's coming to the end of it now. She's she's still kind of good. Whatever she got me, she was one of the ones that got me into watching it. But one thing that I like about the ladies is that they're not. Sometimes they're more fearless than the guys. Yeah. And they just go straight after it. Like, yeah, they just go. It's amazing. When I'm like, what in the world? So, what do you think about like what do you think about the women fighters? Like, do you like watching the girls? Or are they? Sometimes I think the female do, fights do, are more explosive. I, I I thought I was the only one who thought that. Nah, yeah. I mean, some some of the men's fights. Like they'll start real slow. Yeah. And but like uh, a lot of the female fights, like they just go in and they, they go just at go it. straight. Like they don't for the middle like, of the no ring. No fear, like no fear. They just toe to toe. And know? some people are like, "Oh, you like watching it because they're ladies." I'm like, "No," because when I watch the quality of the fight, I know that they they're going right after each other. They have more carelessness, more fearlessness yeah. than some of the guys. Like they're yeah. just sitting, standing back and waiting for you to make some kind of mistake, and then they could look in a counter, take you down, ground and pound. And a lot of the ladies are like, let's stand up, let's go at it, yeah. let's give these people a show, yeah. you know. And you know, not all the ladies and not all the guys fight the same way. Obviously, not all the fights are the same way. Right. Some guys fight explosive; they come right after it. But I notice, and I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of like hoping somebody would like kind of see it too. The ladies, they just sometimes go in after it. They just go straight to the middle of the ring and are like, let's go and, now. And I think it's a twofold thing. I think it's number one. I think it's obviously, yes, it's a full contact sport, mm -hmm. right? And so they want to outdo each other. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I also think it's because it's a woman thing. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, we ladies, we could fight pride. like the men too. So I think it's a pride thing too that pride. drives them yeah. to go that route, which is it's, it's good for the sport, right? Because it makes you, oh, I want to see this fight. You know? It makes it exciting for the viewer. Right. Right. To, to, to watch and, and obviously If you're watching A full contact sport You want to see action That's why sometimes These fights like I remember years ago When um uh, In boxing When Oscar De La Hoya Fought uh, Tito Trinidad mm -hmm. Right yeah. I mean Oscar Is a great fighter But He was running Most of the Most of the Like he was from being the eighth, chased From the 8th round on Yeah Right He was being chased He wanted to make sure He won the first 7 rounds Which he did On points On points And keep that And, and keep then that just like Keep the lead And then I won 7-5 And that was right. it After that he got on the bike And then he got on the bike Right yeah, um, And even in the UFC More recent fights Like I remember Watching the fight with um, uh, What's this guy The last The last uh, Style bender's name I forget his name right now Oh I don't know Israel Adesanya Okay Right He fought uh, this guy from Cuba, they call him the, the warrior of God, uh, Romero is his last name. And Adesanya, mm -hmm. who's a great striker, mm -hmm. right? Um, and he was throwing a lot of leg kicks throughout the fight. But at the same time, I'm like, why were you running? Like, he was running a lot of... And he won the fight, mind you. He, mm -hmm. They gave it to him. I guess... They thought he was uh, the, the greatest marathon runner that ever lived. <laughs> but the entertainment dollar wasn't right. what it, right. you know it could be. Right. If and a lot of times you get that. If he would have stayed toe-to-toe uh, -to -toe yeah. with Romero, who's like not human, because yeah. this dude could take punishment and he could dish it out. Right. If he would have stayed toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, I don't think Adesanya would have. Wow. But, he but that's the mark of a great fighter. You know how to win more than one way. Right. So you're not going to get sucked into that. Right. And that's and then, the thing. He didn't want to get sucked into yeah. the toe-to-toe because -to -toe yeah. I know that he would have lost. Yeah. But then there have been other fights where he does go toe-to-toe -to -toe because... But you know who you fight. Know, right. He yeah. knows. He, he know, you know how to pick your fights. You, you know who you right? fight. He's been in there long enough to know who's going to fight like what and who he can take and who he can't take. Right. That's why he lost 
to um uh 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 Blahovic. He mm-hmm. lost to Blahovic because Blahovic was a totally different. Even though there was no belt on the line, and mm-hmm. I think that's why he fought. He took that fight. Mm-hmm. There was no belt on the line, mm-hmm. and Blahovic uh, pretty much beat him. Yeah, you know they talk about the legendary Polish power, and I think he brought it. And Israel just couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't keep up with that. Right. You know he could probably run and you know do all these other things, but he couldn't keep up with that power. So he fought that fight, and, and, and in a way where yeah, you, he, he just had to run. You know, and he I didn't mean, run all of the fight. When he tried to get in there, he just felt that power. He's like, okay, I can't beat this guy. European fighters train different. Boxing or mixed martial arts, they train a lot for power. Right. Like when you go to Russia and Eastern Europe and things like that, you notice that they hit harder. But that's because they grew up practicing how to hit harder, their technique, weightlifting and stuff like that. So when you notice a guy comes out of Kazakhstan or a guy comes out of Russia and things like that, other places in Europe, the Polish power. They're more brutal. So they're, they're more brutal, right? They're more about power, less about technique. So a lot of times they come to the States, they get outclassed. Or well, sometimes they outclass somebody because the guy doesn't know how to handle how to get hit. Right, right You know, right. so so it's an interesting dynamic. Combat is an interesting dynamic. And I think that one of the reasons why combat is so interesting for us is because we see combat all throughout the Old Testament. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of combat, yeah. right? And we read about combat all the time in the Bible, right? But then we see it play out here. And... um other combat, I, I know that when you were young, you liked boxing. You just talked about Muhammad Ali. So um, who were some of the guys that captured your imagination when you were a kid? Because I know that boxing was more on free TV than it is now yeah. back in the 80s. So who like who captured your imagination back then? I mean, my, my era when I was a, a kid, you know, a lot of the names that were out there were people like uh, Tommy Hearns, mm-hmm. right? Um, Sugar Ray Leonard. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez. Yep. Right, Macho Camacho. Right. Um. Uh. What's this other guy? The, the Marvin Ma- Hagler. Ma- Hagler. Mano de Piedra. Right. Roberto Duran. Right. Duran. So these were the guys that were that I was watching like with my uncles. Right. When I was growing up, because they were like into the boxing. So right. those were the names that were that I would hear a lot when I was growing up. Right. So those were the, those were the guys that I was like, oh wow, you know the way they fight, the way they move. Mm. Right. So and then later on after that, then that's when De La Hoya came out, Tito Trinidad. Um, what's the what's the guy the, the, with the little rooster, the Mexican guy, Fernando Fernando, Fernando Vargas. Fernando Vargas. Yeah, he fought Oscar. Yeah. Right. So you know names like that. But then, like I said, I'm not really a sports buff. No, no, I know, right? but you but like combat. These, these are people, right? Yeah, I like I, combat. I know sports. you like combat sports, right? So you know, so these are people that I was watching when I was a kid because my uncles were into them, and you know they would come over a lot on Saturdays. Yeah. And like you said, boxing was a lot on free TV. Yeah. So it was like the Friday night fights, the Saturday night fights, you know, it was always on TV. Saturday afternoon on ABC, things like that, yeah. And then you got the good name fighters too. Right, right. Not only guys... Right. Not not only like you didn't have to pay guys. for a pay per view to no. see the good guys fight. No. You know, you that was rare. Yeah, that was rare. Yeah. So and then obviously Tyson, of course, you had the Tysons and everybody within that that era okay. too. You know, and then there were a lot of older guys too that Tyson was cleaning cleaning out because they were already towards the end of their career. Yeah. You know, like the Muhammad Ali guy, like Larry Holmes was a guy yeah. who fought Ali. Right, yep. and then Tyson fought him too, but yep. Tyson was a lot younger, a lot fresher. And Larry Holmes had just come off of two losses, and he was two years removed from his last fight. Right. So a lot of people make a lot of hoopla about, oh, Tyson beat Holmes, like Tyson beat an old guy and stuff like that. Which is why I tell a lot of people Tyson is overrated. Not that he's not great. Not that he's not a Hall of Famer. He is. He's a great champion. He's the youngest heavyweight champion of all time. But to say he's one of the 10 best heavyweights ever, I'll debate that with anybody any day. And I, and, and I know that 
when I present the case to them, they'll be like, either their fandom will come out and they'll say, no, nah, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Or they have to be like, oh, okay, I recognize. Yeah, because I, to me, I say probably George Foreman, who was the oldest heavyweight champion. Oh, God. Right? Who was it that? Was it Michael Moore that he beat? Yeah. He, it was Michael he, Moore. Yeah, he, Michael Moore. Yeah. For the championship. Southpaw, right? yeah, Michael Moore. Yep. So, um, Straight know, right hand down the middle. And he was old already and he won a championship yeah, at 45 his age. Years so, old. I would say, I would say, you know, George Foreman was one of the yeah. top. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he beat, he beat Ali. No, Did no, no. Ali? Ali, Ali beat him. How many times did they fight? No, they fought once, and Ali beat him. He beat Smoking Joe twice. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm confusing him with Frazier. Yeah, he, he fought he, Frazier three times. He, he he fought him twice, and he destroyed him both times. Didn't they fight three times? Did I, they have a trilogy? I'm pretty sure it was twice. Twice. Oh, see, there it you go. could be three. There you go. I'm not a sports. But player. I'm pretty sure it was two. Okay. And both times, and and if they did fight a third time, I don't remember it, but I know that. The two fights that they had that I remember, they were both knockouts. And they were, like, quick. I mean, he was just... his Joe's style didn't match up with Foreman at all. Which is why I always tell people Tyson wouldn't match up with Foreman because Tyson was, was a brawler. He was more like Frazier. Frazier's style. Even though his head movement was way better, his jab was faster, you know, and his feet were better. But still, he fell into the, I want to fall, I want to brawl, I want to fight stuff. Okay. You know... More than Joe Frazier, who would, I want to fight, but I could back up a little bit and box just a little bit, which Mike was like, I just want to go forward and I want to make you miss, but then I want to hit you. But I just want to go forward, though. Mm. You know, so that's why I always tell people like uh, Tyson and, and and Foreman for me is just not a good fight for Mike Tyson. I think he'll just like walk into a right hand or something like that. But George Foreman is an is an I think is an awesome guy. Like if you saw him grow up, I think it's awesome. Like bang for your buck entertainment. George Foreman was definitely and I up think there. He was man. a well rounded human being too. Because oh yeah, yeah. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, I believe he's a Christian. Yeah, yeah, as well. yeah. You know, and um, and he didn't just focus his life just on boxing, even though that was his thing. You know, yeah. during that era. But for sure, I mean, he was also he's also a family man. Mm-hmm. And he's got like eight sons. All named right? George. All named George. Yeah. Right. He got into business. Like we was talking one time about. Yep. Uh, how he got into the George Foreman the George grill. George Foreman grill which could have been the Hulk Hogan grill. And it would have fell off. And it would have fell off. What happened was that Hulk Hogan did, got the call late before. So what happened with the Foreman grill was that they made an offer to Hulk Hogan first. And I know you used to watch wrestling, right? So Hulk Hogan talked about it. He said that he never denied getting the grill. He just got the call he received the message late. I, I don't know if he was on the road or something, wrestling. And when he came home, he checked his messages. And by the time that he got back to his agent, Foreman had accepted the deal because the grill company wanted just to put a famous name on it right. and push it out. Yeah. So it became the Foreman girl. And obviously, like I tell people, it worked out better because Foreman has a has a more ingratiating style. Right. He's not going to be all loud and rambunctious like a wrestler, yeah, you know, brother. Right. Like, You're not going to... I'm going to show you this grill, brother. And... <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't work after a while. Yeah. So George Foreman had that inviting family aspect. Right. So he shone right through our TVs, mm-hmm. and we're like, okay. So you got grills now, and everybody calls them Foreman grills. Right. I and, think, I and think everybody has. Had, I've had. A, I had a Foreman grill. So. I, I didn't have a Foreman grill. I have a grill, but it's not a Foreman name brand. But we call it Foreman grill anyway, because right. yeah. they just become that synonymous with him. Right. You know? So George Foreman is definitely a great guy to look up to. My kids. Like, you know, they, they, they practice boxing since they were about five, six years old. Um, CJ loves this. CJ loves anything to do with uh, uh, combat. You know, he wants to learn mixed martial arts. Caleb, not so much. He's like, it's crazy because we're talking about talented children. Your son on the trumpet, my son with the drums. 
he's super talented in boxing. Like, he has all, his body just physically um, had, was like lined up, designed for, designed. It, right? Like when when he went in, right when he was five years old, and he went in and he was training. The trainer's telling me that he throws a perfect punch and he doesn't even know it. Right. He runs a perfect style when he's running the, 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 around the block and he doesn't even understand that. Right. And I, he was like, this is a naturally talented kid. Mm-hmm. But what's crazy about nat- naturally talented people, sometimes they don't want to put in the work because yeah. they're like, I'm talented. Right. You know, so that's like, again, we were talking about you got to find that balance. And he just fell out of that balance. And he's like, I don't like combat. You know, I, I don't want to get hit. I got a pretty face. I don't want to get hit. You know, <laughs> I just want to play. I want to sit back, play the drums, do anything percussion. I'd rather yeah. do that. So I respect that. You know, I was like, okay, you know what? You don't have to pursue it anymore and whatnot. But at least he knows how to defend himself. And if he goes to school, somebody messes with him. I'm like, that's what I, that's what I put you in there for. Mm-hmm. So nobody will be able to mess with you and bully you and things like that. Right. that that's really what it's about. But we're talking about Hulk Hogan. Um, early wrestling. I know you used to watch early wrestling. Like, what was some? Of, well, who were some of your favorite guys? I know you're not a wrestling buff. I know you don't watch anymore because well, I don't watch anymore either. Yeah. But I know as kids, we used to enjoy the Saturday morning wrestling and stuff like that. Definitely. Like, well, it's funny because I had to go next door to my best friend to watch wrestling because my parent, my especially my dad, uh-huh. didn't like wrestling. He was like, "Oh, that's just a drama. That's just a soap opera. It's a bunch of phonies. And how do we really?" And it's true. They yeah. were just acting, right? Yeah. But I had to go next door to watch it. But when I was next door, you know, obviously the Hulk Hogan's, the the Macho Man's, the Undertaker, mm. right? Uh, Early the 90s. Demolition, like the tag team, Demolition, Coco Beware, all those old names, mm-hmm. Superfly, Jimmy Snuka, right? Yeah. All those guys, I mean, those are the legends. And that was, to me, that was like the best era of wrestling. Like once... The golden and era. And that was yeah. WWF when it was called World Wrestling Federation. Yep. Right? And that was at WWF. Then at the WCW... Uh, was when they had Sting, mm-hmm. Ric Flair, and then obviously these people, they all merged together, right? They they, they came from WCW, mm-hmm. WCW, and they would go back and forth, right? Depending yeah. on their contracts or whatever. Yeah. Yep. But those were the people that I liked to watch back in the day, you know? I mean, after Generation X, I think they were called DX or whatever they were uh, called. D-Generation X. D-Generation X. Yeah. Like, after that, yeah. to me, it The just, Attitude Era. Yeah. I when think, it got provocative. Yeah, when it started to get all yeah. about sexual stuff. Sexual innuendos. To me, I think it got corny after that. Okay. But prior to that, it was good. That like, that's actually Jake the Snake, yeah. Robert's drama, you know, stuff like that. Ultimate that Warrior, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. That's know. when they were heavy on the characters being over the top, right? And then they went to the mid and late ninety to late nineties. They went yeah. to the sexual innuendo side, yeah. the shock TV, and they were just focusing on males from eighteen to forty nine. Right. And obviously, they made the most money they ever made at that time because the people they were focusing on that's were the guys. The guys who were spending the money. Right. So the kids don't spend the money. You got to get your parents to spend the money. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you had to go next door to watch it because your parents weren't into it. And they're like, oh, that's fake. So you had to go somewhere else. But then when they targeted the workers, that's when they started making a lot of money. And a lot of people say that's the best era. So it's always a, it's, it's, it's all a perspective and point of view of whether I like the attitude era or I like the golden era, which is the, the era you were referencing. And that's always a debate. Which one was better, the golden era in the 80s and the early 90s or the late 90s and early 2000s with the attitude era more toward the 18 to 49 crew? I like, I, I, I am more a fan of the attitude era because it was less focused on over the top cartoony characters mm-hmm. and it was more, it was more based on 
um, rough, rugged fighting. Right. And it was like hardcore. They were wrestling everywhere. They, they'd be out fighting in a snow fight. They'd yeah. be out on top of a truck. Uh-huh. You know, they, 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 they would come in and just do these crazy things that you'd be like, that doesn't even belong on television. Like the death matches were always great, man. Yeah, um, Texas death matches and stuff like that. Like you understood that it's just a show. Right. But you had to understand that. If you got too caught up in that, you live vicariously through that, that wasn't a good thing either. Mm-hmm. But the golden era was awesome because Hulk Hogan was the man. He had every behind, everybody behind him when he fought under the giant Andre at WrestleMania 3. King Kong Bundy. He fought King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania 2. And he was on top of the world. And you'd be like, oh, my God, like I have this American hero. And it was awesome and things like that. So I, that, that's, that's kind of like combat is such an inter- interesting narrative, interesting thing that captures our imaginations. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, oh, my God, like even if it's scripted drama like wrestling. Or even if it's real drama like boxing and MMA, like it just captures your imagination, imagination for some reason, and it's just a special thing. Like I love it. I'm not gonna watch the fights tonight because I'm not gonna pay, you know, to watch the UFC. It'll, it's funny you, but you, I'm, you but don't I'm pay for it, and it'll be some long extravagant fight. If you yeah. do pay for it, it it'll be something be small, one round fight. But I do have uh, ESPN Plus, and I'll probably watch it in two weeks when it comes out or whatever, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, things like that. So watch the highlights on YouTube. I'll watch the highlights on YouTube or something like that. That's that's one of the good things about all this social media stuff. But mm-hmm. before before we get out of here. Um, my last episode was about the tide turning, right? And I spoke about the tide turning on some things. So obviously in the beginning, all the way in the beginning, hours ago, you mentioned about, um, you know, some of the people you hear on podcasts. So, uh, let me just ask you, cause I talk, we talk politics a lot. When did you notice like the tide turning for Hispanic people when it came to what they listened to, who they listened to, how they voted and now their thoughts on the political worldview. Uh, when did you sense that tide turning? And do you still see it turning? And do you like it? Um, so it, I'm going to answer that based off of my own experience. Okay. Because growing up, politics was something that my father never discussed. Mm-hmm. Right? We listen to the news, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. right? You listen to things that world events and stuff like that. But... My father never discussed politics because it was always, oh, you know, the politicians are just a bunch of thieves. And which is true. A lot of them, a lot of them are just about getting money. You yeah. know, they don't really make any changes. Yeah. Right. Nothing really happens. Nothing comes out of it. Um, we still have world wars and all this nonsense. Right. Yeah. So I was never really into politics. And it wasn't until 2015 and 2016 when Trump became a nominee the nominee for the republican party with that it actually caught my attention like oh Mm. snap like trump is running for the presidency right Mm -hmm. so i really was not into listening to politic news Mm -hmm. or anything like that you know prior to that obviously i did hear and i it's funny when obama won in 2008 because i was a minority and because i wasn't educated to me it was like wow we have a black president now like I thought that was a good thing. And, and in, in, in one aspect, it's good, right? Because it proved that America is not racist. Amen. Plus, he won two terms, right? So we had a black president for two terms for eight years. So that proved right there that that was good in the sense of, look, we don't have a ra- we're not living in a racist country. We have a black president, right? But then at the same time, there were a bunch of his policies that were detrimental to the church and detrimental to the health of our nation, Right. So when Trump comes in in 2015, 2016 and becomes the Republican nominee and wins, 
that's when it caught my attention and I really started listening to the news and then seeing how things were changing, how there were things that he said that seemed controversial to the average listener because of the way the media manipulated his words, right? But then if you started to watch closely and the benefits and the good things that he was actually doing for our country, right? Then I, then I would say that that's the time where people started paying attention, especially in the Hispanic and minority uh, communities. Then that's when people started listening to the pilot. I think, I think it was the same for everybody. Okay. Once Trump came in, I think that was a wake up call okay. because people were not looking at a regular politician. Because in reality, he's not a politician. He was a businessman. Right. Right? And I think that a lot of the things that he said, even though they were politically incorrect, that's what we needed. We needed to somebody, uh, we needed somebody to come in and just shake up, right? Shake up the way things were happening, right? And shake up our Business government. as usual. Shake that up. Right? right. Shake it up because there was really no change happening, right? Right. I would say in my lifetime, the only other president that probably did something before him was Ronald Reagan. Mm. And I was too young to even know really what was happening in the world. Like I said, my parents never really discussed politics. They were not into it. Mm -hmm. But probably before Trump, I would say Reagan, okay. right? Was the only other politic, politician, politician. Mm -hmm. right? That was really doing things. Okay. Right? But that was before I was even noticing or paying attention. So it wasn't until Trump that I think for everybody that it was just a wake-up call for people, even to people who are liberals, right? Okay. So I think that that's the time where I would say that things really to start to shake up and minorities really start to pay attention to politics. Okay, so <clears throat> uh, I think I got three more questions and then definitely out of here. Okay, number one, I always wanted somebody to, not always, but since I started listening to politics and been into political theater. I wanted somebody who's a Christian or somebody who's very educated to talk about this. Um, you're reading a book called The Christian Left. Mm -hmm. Where in the world or why in the world did, did there become a Christian left? And how did, that, how did that happen? And how do people come out of that? Like the book that you're reading, how much is it educating you on the Christian left? How good it is, how bad it is. Well, what's funny is I just started reading that book yesterday. Okay. So when I, when I posted it, I had just saw it on a commercial. On, I was watching Newsmax. Yeah. And, you know, Newsmax is conservative news, obviously. So they have a lot of Christian people that speak out on the show. So he was the author of that book. His name is uh, My, uh, Miles. I don't know if Miles is his first name or his last name. I forgot his name. Luke, Luke, Lucas Miles. Okay. Right? He's a pastor. So he was on the show. And he, because what happens now, there's, a, there's an attack that's going on the church, mm -hmm. right, from, from the left, from liberals, right? Mm -hmm. And from, from, unfortunately, from our administration. So I just started that book yesterday, so I can't really say much okay. about what the book has to say because I just started reading it. But I can say that the mentality, right, about people who call themselves Christian but they're liberals mm -hmm. when it comes to political views, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I think people just... Like, when I look at the world, I think if we look at the world from a biblical perspective, we would all be on the same page if we all had the same sound view. Okay. What happens is people are looking, people who are Christian, who consider themselves to be political liberals, are looking at the world through their own lens mm -hmm. or through what they perceive as, no, Jesus would have done this or Jesus would be more loving or be more kind, right? And yes, Jesus is loving and Jesus is kind, 
but they're letting that aspect drive their political views. So that's how we get a, a, a Christian left, right? Because while God wants us to be loving and kind to the world, right? Mm -hmm. There's also the side of God that people are ignoring, which is the wrath of God, right? Because everybody talks about the love of God, but they forget about the wrath of God. And so that's why we have a Christian left that's going too soft, saying, well, Jesus is love, God is love, everything is love, love, love. But they forget that there's a balance even within God himself. Yeah. They say, well, Jesus never spoke against uh, homosexuality. Jesus never spoke against, uh, you know, a lot of things that we see being promoted now. Mm -hmm. But in reality, if you think about it, when was God ever in contradiction with himself? Mm -hmm. The same God of the New Testament is the same God of the Old Testament. Yeah. And if in the Old Testament we had the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, even though he wasn't broken down in those, with those terms... We still have the same God in the Old Testament. When did they disagree about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah? Right? They never disagreed on They were always in agreement. So that same Jesus, even though he, he, gave, he came with a different approach in the New Testament, and it wasn't that he changed his mind. It was that he fulfilled the law. Mm -hmm. Right? So what happens now is that the Christian left is looking, is believing the way they believe, and they hate Donald Trump so much because of the love, love, love message, but they forget that God is... Okay. Also wrath, right? Okay. And there's also judgment that comes with that. So while you and I have a conservative view on the Bible yeah. and on politics, it's because we're looking at all of government and our world through the eyes of the Word of God in its complete entirety rather than just looking at it through the small lens of just love, love, love. But we see that there's a God of wrath. So I don't know if that answers that question. So two more questions. One is patriotism and the gospel. Are we go are we preaching too much patriotism and should we be preaching more gospel? So there's extremes on both sides. We should be patriotic, right? We should want to stand for our country, but before our country comes God. Before our country comes the word. So we need to be preaching more of the gospel because that's what happens. Mm -hmm. We 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 drifted away from the gospel, right? And that's why, like I said, that's why we have the left now. Mm -hmm. the, the, Christian the Christian left, left because we've driven away from the gospel and now it becomes more of there's this divide between even among Christians mm -hmm. because the people that are on the left are looking at us like oh you're too much into God and guns but mm. are we really into God mm. right because if, it's, if they're looking at us with that aspect it could be also because we also have departed away in, in, in to a sense from the gospel message and now we're becoming too much on the hardcore side of patriotism rather than keeping that balance where, like I said before, if we all had that proper balance on the word and looking at the world through the lens of the Bible, there would be no left and no right. It would just be continuously gospel, right. continuously God. So that's why we have that divide. But on the other hand, I do understand why there's a lot of patriotism. And it's because the extreme left is pushing in our, our country in the direction of that now we don't want God anymore. Right now, it's going to the extremes of no, because uh, you know it's it's just getting out of control. You guys are too much, and then that's that's what we have now: the the white supremacy mentality, yeah. right? The the whiteness, everything is you know all oh, the white man this, the white man that, the white man is the devil, which no, it's not true. In reality, everyone that doesn't have God in their life will manifest Satan, you know, satanic. Uh, views and values when it comes to there because our flesh is prone to sin right okay. we were we were we were conceived in sin 
right? So I think that's what it is. I think sometimes we're leaning too much to our patriotism, but again, if we keep it well-rounded, whether it's right or left, if we go back to the Bible, there wouldn't be a blur. There would be no dividing line. And that's the problem with, you know, people are viewing us because at the same time that the left is leaving the Bible for, for the certain views, we're also leaving the Bible out because mm. we want to be too patriotic. And I think everybody has to come back to the middle mm. and, and join and be like, no, it has to be more gospel-centered, more about the blood of Jesus, more about the love of God, but also the wrath of God. And then this way people will, there'll be more clarity on where we stand. Amen. Amen. So, I kept you here long enough. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I hope the coffee was good. Coffee was good. It was Dunkin' Donuts with hazelnut in it. <laughs> I hope it was good. It's good, it's good. You didn't can't, want it iced. You wanted it hot, so I gave that to you like that. I had mine iced. You might have to edit this, man. It was, what, like three hours? Yeah, no, <laughs> there'll be some editing done, but it's all, it's all good. I loved everything we talked about. Um, just so... Thank you once again for listening. Thank you once again, my brother, for coming through. I really enjoyed what we talked about. Um, the last question I have before I let you go is, Dustin Poirier wins how? In what round? How does he win? Give me like a solid prediction. Well, if Go Dustin, straight if, forward on it. If Dustin Poirier is going to win, he already won by knockout. Referee stopped the fight the second time. I think he's going to win by submission. He's going to win my submission. Yep. You have a round? Third round. Third round. Third round submission. Y'all heard it. July 3rd, Saturday night, pay-per-view. Gabby's going with Dustin Poirier. Submission. Third round. What kind of submission? Do you dare you, you dare to call any kind of submission? Yeah, I'm going to say choke. Uh, a rear naked choke. Rear call. naked choke. There you go. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the prediction. Uh, so... He's called, he's Gabby Polidura. I'm Chris Beniquez, and we are out of time on All Talks of Life. Thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you soon.